on episode 56 of Pixel Gaiden. We talk classic gaming peripherals. Lots of great new games for classic systems. Tim has an Atari-related surprise for us. Eric takes a look at the Game Boy Player. Retro gaming and Bitcoin. Cody makes a fool of himself. Battle of the 16-bit Animaniac games. Our Patreon subscribers get royal. And the boys keep the show under two and a half hours. Mr. Eric Nelson, what a fine April I'm having. How about yourself? I'm still alive. <laughs> Half a century later. That's right. Happy birthday, my friend. Happy birthday. Thank you very much. I've reached the half a century mark. And and I heard you got a, a birthday present from uh, from your doctor. I did. I got a, <laughs> a microchip injected from Bill Gates right oh, in my arm. Otherwise known as... Uh, the COVID-19. The COVID-19 vaccine. I got one as well. They opened it up for 16 and ups. So I got one. I think we both have one of two. Yeah, we got them within a couple of days of each other. So the cool thing is at the end of April, we'll be all done with that, right? Absolutely. Which is a good thing. Things are progressing. Yeah. Yeah. Well, this is a show about retro video games and retro-inspired video games, Eric. And also, your favorite subject. Beer. Beer. Um, so without further ado, we'd like to jump right into it and start off with a few quick questions. Now, I said a few quick questions, but really, we're going to start with one for this episode. Yeah. Because we got a whole lot of listener feedback. Right. And we, we started opening the quick questions up to our Discord users. And how do you become a Discord user? Well, let me tell you. <laughs> you, uh, you you sign up for us on pa- Patreon. And at any level, you'll get access to the Amigos Gaming Network Discord, which has a lot of different shows. ARG Presents, uh, The Amigos, Sprite Castle and us and you can join in on a bunch of different conversations in there i mean that thing is i have to admit i've been on, on there almost more, more than twitter or any other network yeah. social networking it's it's a lot more tightly focused to what we're interested in that's well, for yeah sure. because we are among friends but you can answer the a quick question will be posted in there every time before the show yep. usually it's once a, a week. month yeah once it's a about month. a week before the show and you could answer that and we'll try to get it on the air so this month i asked and this one, uh, normally you and I ask these questions to each other, but this Correct. is for everybody. Um, but we ask, what is your favorite ever peripheral for a system? And I put in parentheses, like, not included with a base system. Yeah. Um, so you can't be like, oh, I like the original whatever controller. Right. No, that that doesn't count. Ixnay. Um so we got a few answers here. We'll just go ahead and try to run down. Um, we got way more than I thought. <laughs> Which is good. This is a popular question. Yeah. Um, so 48k ram aka josh malone said uh the favorite that he actually had was the nes advantage joystick which kind of surprises me honestly uh he said i actually modded mine up the proverbial wazoo that's an ericism to add foot pedals for start and select very cool yeah great for switching missiles and metroid 
don't know if that's necessary, but you know what? Josh, you do you. Uh, fave that I wanted was a Game Genie, and some of my friends had them, and they seemed like magic. Yep. Uh, and they were magic. I to this Up until uh, recently, I didn't realize why those things worked and yeah like i couldn't, con- I couldn't in my head i couldn't understand like after the game was already released how people were still like making codes I'm, right and then of course now i know peaks and pokes and all this stuff but and you know what i'm gonna interject mine in here because it's a snes one too okay and it's my i have two answers one's vintage one's modern so my vintage answer is on my snes the multi-tap like uh the multi-tap brought a whole new dimension to super nintendo and back in the early 90s when i got my super nintendo I had so many parties where I'd bring my multi-tap or people would come over to my house and we would play Super Bomberman or um, there's a couple other games we would play I don't remember right now, but just had a total blast with that. So I'm going to say multi-tap is my answer. For the, but you said for the Super Nintendo. For the Super Nintendo, yep. Okay. Yep. Yeah, Josh is... Um, oh, Josh is for the original Josh is Nintendo. talking about the original, but that, that's okay. It's all good. Um, but yeah, he said the Advantage Joystick, which is the, the big flat... Yep, I have that one. It's a tank. It is a tank. I had one. I sold yeah. it. I still have mine. I still have mine. I don't... I guess for me, there's no games on the NES that need... Where that becomes an advantage for me. So I... I didn't have a use for it. I heard a lot of people say they liked playing Mega Man with it for some reason. That's the weirdest thing in the world. Mega Man is a hard D-pad game. Okay. (laughs) For me. Yeah. Apparently. Okay. Mitsuyama wrote in, said around 1987. Actually, just said 87. I'm assuming 1987. Right. Um... I picked up a plus D interface for my Spectrum Plus 2, which allowed me to connect a standard 3.5-inch floppy drive. The contents of RAM could be dumped to a disk in a snapshot, so games could be loaded from tape and dumped to disk and then reloaded from disk. Um, That means that games that usually took about 10 minutes to be loaded from tape just took seconds to be loaded from disk. It was manufactured by Miles Gordon Technology, who went on to make the Sam Coupe. Nice. That's a good one. Yeah. And it's funny because Boat... um, our, our buddy from the Amigos, he actually kind of piggybacked on that, which is in the fact that it's a uh, data storage solution, really. Right. Um, and he had a really good one, which this is probably my modern one, if you want to say that. He said, doesn't EverDrive count? <laughs> yeah, it would. The NES EverDrive has provided me with countless hours of entertainment. And I agree, but my, my all I mean, I have a bunch of EverDrives. But for whatever reason, that my first one is my favorite, and that was the Turbo Graphics. Yeah. It's a neat one, too, because it, fit, it fits. It's a little Hue well, card yeah, size. Yeah, it slides right in there. Yep. Absolutely. Very cool. Um, Hermski hopped in and said, I would say that when I got my hands on my first modem, mm. I think it was a 2400 modem for my Amiga. He was amazed and totally hooked playing the most simple of games online with friends like chess and drafts. I don't know what drafts is. I don't know either. That sounds... Uh, it sounds European. <laughs> but my parents were angry when they got the phone bill. Oh, yeah, that's right. You had to pay for that. I that's remember right. America Online. Yeah. You get like 10 hours. You get 10 hours for free and you have to have to pay for the rest. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yep. Not but to it, mention, like, even calling BBSs, unless they were, you could even call different prefixes, like not, not area codes, but prefixes, and they would still charge you. So a lot of people even connecting to BBSs would still get charged a lot of money. He also double-dipped and said, uh, going back further to 8-bit systems, he liked uh, the Saga keyboard that replaced the 48K rubber keyboard. He, he put a picture on here, and it's kind of a... Yeah. It almost looks like a Coco keyboard to me. Yeah. Kind of cool. But then Frodo NL hopped on here and piggybacked on that one, saying he loved his DK-Tronics keyboard for the Spectrum, but his favorite add-on was the Interface 1, not for the microdrive, but because it became... 
Sorry, I'm having a hard time reading it because I don't understand half of these words. These are things that didn't exist here. <laughs> right. All right, let's try that again. Uh, the interface one, not for the microdrive, but because it gave me a serial connection, allowing me to connect to all kinds of peripherals and to friends' computers. Yeah. So he liked the peripheral that allowed him to collect to connect to other peripherals. Cool. Got it. <laughs> uh, our boy Tim, fellow showmate, yes, says there is no contender in my opinion. Uh, he had to go with the action replay, which was welded in his C64 and C128 back in the day. Action replay is just awesome and so versatile. Uh, must then and now. Lord Soup said it's a fight stick on any platform for him. I love fighting games, and it's always preferable to play on a fight stick as some characters have moves that are a female dog to pull off on a pad. I changed the <laughs> words there a little bit. Yeah, sure. Characters such as Akira, uh, Leifei, and Vanessa on Virtua Fighter lose a whole dimension without a fight stick. Are you, you, you like fighting games. Is a fight stick a must for you on those? It, not really. Not really. See, it's funny because most people say it is. I Well, I mean, I grew up on playing Street Fighter 2 in the arcade and then on the Super Nintendo. And I, so I got used to the gamepad, so it's not a necessity, but I do prefer a fight stick. Absolutely. That's what most people, I mean, yeah. I yeah. prefer it, but I can use a gamepad too. So I don't know if this is really an answer, but HSI, do we know him by another name? I don't know. Um, HSI, if you're listening, let us know if we know you by another name, because yeah. everyone introduces themselves, but it's really easy, easy to forget. Um he uh, he answered our quick question with another quick question, which is, if an Action 52 was thrown into a mulching machine and Cheetah Man 2 was smashed by a car at the same time, would you play Master Blaster or Revenge of Shinobi? <laughs> <laughs> and you and I both just said, yes. That's right. I'd play both of them. <laughs> <I'd>, I... <laughs> uh, our uh, Amigos Retro Network fellow showmate, Rob Flacco O'Hara, says he would go with the Ultimate 5041, which is a great choice. Yeah, and that's good. That's going to be my second choice, by the way. So uh, I'm taking me out of the question. There you go. That's my modern one. So go ahead. He says, I've purchased lots of things that improved on old systems, modems, joysticks, etc., but can't think of a single item that did more for a system than this thing. Not only is it 100% compatible with a real 1541 disk drives, but it adds Ethernet printing and the ability to transfer real disks to dot c or dot d64 images and back um simply amazing piece of technology rekindled his passion for his favorite computer yep uh and then once he said that everyone started being like oh yeah but also the the uh the atari what am i thinking it's, i have it right the fujinet here. fujinet yep it's kind of the same thing but for the atari it's a very similar thing yeah and i mean there's so many things that the ultimate 1541 brings to the table an reu so you get a memory upgrade there um it 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 really is the Swiss Army knife for the C64. Once you get that, you, you can emulate cartridges. You can have an action replay, like Tim said. You can just boot that up. And there's buttons on the Ultimate so that it can simulate the buttons on the action replay for snapshot button. Uh, it, it It is the best peripheral for the Commodore 64, hands down. I mean, I wouldn't be without it now. I would If mine broke tomorrow, I'd order another one. There you go. All right, I'm gonna get. I'll do a, a an old and new. Yeah. For whatever reason, even though it's more recent to me, mm -hmm. I agree. The NES for me is the NES uh, multi tap that I have. I yeah. think it's called the four square or four. Yeah, four yeah, tap. yeah, yeah. Being able to play some NES games four player, it's hilarious and so much fun. It is. That'd be my old one. My new one would actually be. Uh, I'm just literally thinking about like ones I use all the time. Um, it'd have to be my. Uh, SD2 IAC. I don't have an Ultimate 5041, but I do have my SD2 IAC for the Commodore. Right. Um, 
But I'm going to cheat and throw another one in because as much as I use that, I also use uh, that little JPX. Yeah, yeah. With that little adapter that that you told me about that I got. So I can plug in D-pad controllers to my Commodore 64 and actually play the games. The 64 JPX, yeah. The Competition Pro and stuff, I know it's classic and original whatever, but I can play so much better with a Nintendo D-pad plugged into that. That that that's a great adapter. Choice. So I'm going to go with that adapter. Cool. So that is quick questions, which means now we're going to go ahead and let listeners know how they can get a hold of us. So if you want to find show information, you're going to go to pixelguiden.com. If you want to reach us on Twitter, you can reach me, Eric Nelson, at the project, D-U-H project. You can reach the show at at pixel underscore Gaiden. You can reach Cody at at oddball, which is O-D-D-B-A-1149. You can reach Tim at sanction at s-a-n-x-i-o-n please review us on apple podcasts or whatever podcast catcher that you use that would be really helpful for us and if you want to email us you can email at podcast at pixelguiden.com and we do encourage feedback we also have a patreon account set up so if you wish to support the show financially you can do so at patreon.com forward slash pixelguiden you can support us with as little as a dollar all the way up to infinite dollars. If you do so, you'll get access to the Amigos Retro Network Discord server, where all kinds of cool chat is happening about not only our show, but the other shows such as Bright Castle and, of course, the Amigos, um, amongst other shows. And there's various other topics in there, um, everything from for sale to music to uh, high score contests, things like that. If you support us at the $3 or more tier, we like to announce every supporter at that level here on the show in a way that we can only do here on Pixel Guide and using our random adjective generator. And this week, with a little suggestion from our Patreon follower, David Vincent, we're heading to the Royal Ball. Hear ye, hear ye! As the official court herald of the land of Gaidenia, I bid you glad tidings and welcome to the Pixel Gaidenia Ball. Now, without further ado, let's, how do you say, get this party started. Please welcome your Viscount of Gaidenia, the heartbreaking Mr. Toast, and your Marquis, the barbaric Team Grey, all the way. Up next, may I introduce to you your gleaming Duke Marche Sosnowski, the elastic Earl Peradroid, and your Duke of Earl, the parched Ramoke Romoke. Unfortunately, I must interrupt our proceedings to make the following announcement. To the owner of a white chaparral carriage, you are parked in the Duke's employ of the month spot, and your Windsor Grey Horse is being towed. As you all know, it's not actually a party until I introduce to you your Baron, the finicky Act Stiller, accompanied by the Knights of the Square Pixel, the belligerent Mitsuyama, the mellow Hermski, and the Nero Citizen. Next, may I introduce you to the feral Gary Heather Esquire, and his photographer, the motionless Henrik Lulfold. Also from Esquire. I would like now to make a note that there are a lot of dudes here. Gentlemen, next time, please, this is a party. Bring your wives. 
we do have a special guest tonight. From overseas, may I introduce to you the Laird of Zylog, the raspy Daniel James, who, matter-of-factly, did bring his wife, so at least one of us is getting Laird tonight. <laughs> okay. It is at this time I present to you the court gesture for the king's amusement. Please introduce the profuse Dustin Newell. Quite enough of that. The king is clearly not amused. Kill him. Thank you. Harpsichordist. Ah, it would appear that a limo full of homeboys has just arrived. May I introduce the lamentable Sir Matthew Ackerman, the frantic Lord Josh Malone, tight-fisted Bishop Eric Sandgren, and our remarkable scribe, David Vincent. I have just been notified that there is a bad batch of brown penicillin making its way through the crowd. I repeat, do not take the brown penicillin. And last but not least, due to these hard times, I would like to mention our medical crew. The natural 10-minute Amiga Retrocast. The quick David Modelak and the uppity Roy Fielding. I do regret to inform you all that the fourth member and newest member of the medical crew, the stormy Brian Arsenault, has been taken by the plague. Now please enjoy the festivities. Yay! <laughs> awesome. Your enthusiasm is palpable, Eric. Thank you. Yay. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you very much for your support. And your support will buy us beers such as these. Yes, so this is one you brought, so why don't you uh, explain this one to me? So we're going to go ahead and crack open some beers on the show like we like to do. Yeah. And uh, I don't know about in your neck of the woods, listeners, but in our neck of the woods, we hit like almost 90 today. Yeah, it was very warm. So we're already back to summer here, which happens in Northern California, at least that's part of it. Ah. So I got a nice light summer beer. In fact, the can even looks like a classic, like a... Schlitz or like kind of a boring, you know, one of those old school classic American beers. Yep, I've seen this can, um, but I have never tried it. So I see, I've seen it in the store though. So it is from East Brothers Beer Company in Richmond, California. We've had a beer from Richmond before. Yeah, we have. Which again is a nice place to just drive through. Yeah, you don't want to stop in there. <laughs> and uh, it is a Bow Pills. We just lost all of our Richmond, California listeners. <laughs> That's our second biggest demographic, right behind Denmark. <laughs> like, we're out. Um, bow pills, which I guess is a pilsner in the bow variety. I well, don't know. Uh, yeah, I don't know what that means. Bow and Luke Duke. That's right. There you go. So I'm going to go ahead and pour this bad boy. Yeah, yeah. Um, go ahead and take a sip. Oh, I guess we got we to gotta cheers. We got to yeah. do this thing right. So Especially because we're in the same room again, which is which is the thing. Cheers, my friend. Cheers. <laughs> I'll let I'll let you go first there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, let's. Uh, it, this is a tall boy, which is very nice. It's got a very nice color. It's golden. Uh, for a you know, mm. pilsners can be very very clear or more golden. This one's on the more golden variety. Yes, it's um, it's good. It's actually really good. <laughs> this yeah, this is really good. This Simple, is but very good. refreshing, very crisp. Which one of my favorite uh, beers like this is Asahi. 
and uh, it's very crisp and dry, and that's what I would how I would explain this. Yeah, Asahi's a lager though, technically. It is. It? Yeah, I'm just meant the like flavor, the crispness, the no, kind I, of a dry. You're right. It does. It, it's similar. By the way, a bow pilsner apparently is a bohemian. Yeah, pilsner. I don't know what the difference is though. I have to admit, but bohemian style golden with a lemony noble hop character. Hmm. A uh, crisp, grainy finish. I think all that is accurate. Yeah. It's really good. It's simple. This, for some reason, it's really working right now, especially in the heat. In the heat, I like simple beers. In the winter, I like complex beers. So, well, I'm going to say this is a winter because it's getting to be getting to be hot. As the uh, as the show goes on here, it'll get darker outside, maybe a little <laughs> cooler. And I think we got something more fun later. So. Okay, cool. All right. This so, is a good one. This is a Bohemian Pilsner. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm thinking bohemian, so like hippies. So I'm thinking out of five quarts of patchouli oil, <laughs> how many quarts do you give this? What's your ranking? I'm going to give it a four. Four, yeah, four. Four is a good one. Four is a good solid yeah. 80% four. Yep. I mean, it's hitting the spot now. I'd almost give it like four and a half just because I am hot right I think now. that's part of it. Like, I want to give it more, but I guess in my, my conscience, I can't. I'm going to give it four point one five right. quarts of patchouli oil. <laughs> All right. It's a good one. So real quick, uh, we like to touch up on our, uh, what do you call it, cheers and jeers? We don't call it that. No, we don't. <laughs> Errata and feedback. Uh, so... Honestly, I did not do a good job of tracking all this. I think we got more than I have here, so I apologize if anybody wanted to make fun of us and we didn't say it on the air, <laughs> which is usually what happens. But I can't forget that Doug had to go ahead and point out that I can't count. <laughs> yeah. But luckily, he blamed it on both of us, because you didn't catch it either. No, I didn't. When I said, hey, let's rate something out of 64 bits plus 32 bits, and I said, like, that's like 94 <laughs> bits or something. It's like, And it was completely wrong. <laughs> we caught it later. We got, we got there. We got yeah, there. We, so, we got it later, yeah. Thanks, that's- Doug. Uh, and the last one, uh, the only other one I put in here this month is, I'm not sure if I'm eating crow or if my ego should bloat at this point, because I kept complaining last time about all the upcoming Amiga games in production, how for, like, months it's been, like, yeah, five to six things a month of like this game's coming. Yeah, they here's another game. New teaser, new teaser, and this month like five games came out, actual releases, which is awesome. So I'd like to say that um, I actually just made things happen by complaining <laughs> into this microphone. <laughs> that is uh, all we have for that. Right on. So what do we do now? Well, I guess we better let the people know what the news is. This beer, this beer is going to go down way too fast. We're yeah. both just like, mm, mm, yeah, we are. Mm. We chug, 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 chug. I'm very happy with this beer. I am. Me too. Okay. Um, let's go ahead and start this thing up. So, item number one, I like to talk about uh, the Stone Age Gamer a lot, <laughs> and they have a news item here I want to bring up, which is they have a new Jag item they've been selling. Okay. Now I'm not sure who makes this. You know, they're a retailer. And they work, they're working with more and more small manufacturers, which is cool. Yeah. Um, but to go along with the uh, Retro HQ Jaguar... Uh, Jaguar. 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 Um, SD card solution that came out from Retro HQ, which they are never in stock of. They're still sold out as soon as they get them. Still waiting on mine. 
but they now have a JAG2 SNES Atari 2 SNES audio video adapter. Hmm. HGT, whatever that means. But basically, if you want to plug this thing into that weird port in the back of your Jaguar and uh, Jaguar, and then you plug your, your Super Nintendo audio video cable into the adapter, then you get your uh, clean component out. So is, and I don't have a Jag, is a Jag RF? Yeah, go grab it right there. Take a look at that thing. It's a bizarre, um, there you go. He's pulling it out right now. So if you look on the back of the Jag, you have RF. Yeah. And then you've got that weird, long edge connector right there in the middle. That's right. Okay, so it's RF only. That's interesting. You wouldn't think a, a model as late as this would just be RF only. Right. That's nuts. Well, it was Atari in the mid-90s. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I did buy a device that kind of does this already. Okay. But this is kind of cool because you just buy this one little adapter and now you only have to use your SNES cable. Oh, that's kind of neat. That is neat. And there are more these days, like from Hyperkin, they have a, um, an, a, a SNES to HDMI, like little cable. Mm-hmm. If you didn't want to get a retro tank or something like that, you could just get this specialized SNES cable. So now that's a solution because I imagine that would go straight through into that. Absolutely. Um, the Jag. It's kind of cool, though. You can tell it's made yeah. by, um, you know, a small production model where somebody 3D prints this thing. Yeah. But the way they did it, they have this, like, 3D printed thing where they fill it in with the plastic, and then but the JAG 2 SNES is written in there with a red color plastic. Like, it kind of looks cool. Like, it doesn't look super professional, but at the same time, it kind of does. I don't know how to explain it. Yeah. I know. It's got that typical kind of 3D print back and forth, like, texture to it. But I like it. It's really neat. Yeah. Yeah, I I think that is really cool. I like peripherals like that. So the next one here is and and I maybe just because I wasn't I don't follow the PS1 that closely. I mean, I love the console and there are a lot of games in there I really love. But I I and I think you're the same way. I have a chipped PS1, but I have two other PS1s in my garage that aren't aren't modified <laughs> We're in the any exact way. same way. I have three yeah. total PSXs. Yeah, yep, exactly. And one of them is, has a mod chip in it. And my main one has a mod chip in it, but my PS2 is soft modded. You know, there was an exploit in a game. I forget it was a Tom Clancy game. You make a special memory card, you pop it in, and now you have a soft modded PS2. I never installed a mod chip in my PS2, so my PS2 is always soft modded, and it works great. I, I boot games off of hard drive. I boot back, quote unquote, backups. Um, I'll have to figure out how to do that. That's the one system I don't have access to yet. Oh, well, I have the system. I just don't. I thought I made you. A, I made you a memory card for that. You you did, and I haven't. Oh, you know, yeah, do you I did. just use it with memory card? That's it. Yep, you use it, and you in the menu. I'll, I'll show you how to do it offline. But uh, you're you're. No, set. I think you should describe it all. We should do it right now. <laughs> it'll take like fifty. 60 minutes yeah, and the listeners be, we'll, can we'll, just enjoy us like yeah, we'll just you know, bending over hours. and accidentally farting and grabbing things and going <laughs> alright that's uh, no. so the PS1 finally after all of these years has a legitimate soft mod that is just as easy as the PS2 one it is called the Tony Hacks because eh. it uses the Tony Hawk 2 or 3 and there is a, a game save that you it basically you do a game save with a special file name or something like that and it you pop that in there and it just basically crashes the system and then when you reboot it you can swap in whatever game you want backup or not so right. it's a little neat little soft mod you don't have to because i installing a mod chip in a ps1 is not for the faint of heart 
I did not do mine. It came that way. Actually, it's kind of uh, <laughs> it is kind of interesting because the story behind mine was I had my PlayStation, but I had got a bunch of PlayStation Japanese imports. Yeah, and I had a way to do, uh, with this magic swap CD thing. It was yep. I don't know. It was kind of in between a swap trick and something, but it wasn't great. So I just want, I'm like, I'm going to go buy an actual Japanese one also because I'm a collector. Yeah. So I went out and bought one. It said, all right, it's NTSCJ. And I got it and it absolutely was not NTSCJ. And I was complaining at the guy online. I'm like, dude, you sent me the wrong one. He's like, no, that's it. I'm like, yeah, but this doesn't, it's not the Japanese one. He's like, oh, but yeah, but I'll play out the Japanese games. I'm like, that's not what I bought. <laughs> I bought an NTSCJ. Yeah. You did not give me an NTSCJ. Oh, man. He's like, I don't understand what the problem is. I'm like, you're killing me right now, dude. <laughs> Anyways, I let it go because whatever. But so I have one. Yeah. So anyway, that is neat. So if you still have your PS One rattling around or mine breaks down, and I want to just pull that one of those out of the garage, boom. This is uh, you do have to have a way to write a game save. Uh, you know, there's like little tools you can get to to go from a PC to to a PS One memory card. Uh, but it's a pretty nice little exploit. Very cool. So one of the games that, that did come out for the Amiga, mm-hmm. I'm sure everyone's talking about this in our little community here, but uh, a game called Invia, I'm going to say it wrong, Invia, with Invia. two Y's for some reason. Yeah. Um, and it looks super cool. I think I'm going to, I still haven't worked on my monitor. We'll talk about that in catching up. I need to get my monitor fixed, um, which I am going to do myself, by the way. But until I do that, I think this is worth me just plugging straight into my uh, CRT with composite so I could play this game. Okay. Um, but it is very much an R-type clone. But it looks amazing. And it's a... Uh, it looks know, really nice. Horizontal scrolling Amiga game, which I'm pretty sure runs on anything including a 500. That's pretty impressive. Yeah, it, does, it only needs a 512 chip. Yep. So, looks cool. That, that looks amazing. I... It looks like it needs a little more memory than a normal system. Oh, right? did it say another 512? Yeah, so there's 512 chip and, and any other form of 512K. So 512K okay. chip, 512K extra RAM, which almost most, everybody has. M- most Amigas have that these days, yeah. Another indie retro news item that I wanted to point up because you don't see a whole lot of new Game Boy Color games. Right. Uh, especially not ones that were originally designed on the Commodore 64. Ooh, interesting. Remember we played Doc Cosmos. I, d- I remember that. A, um, one of those Game Jam games. Yeah. Anyways, it's being released. Um, looks like they have physical cartridges as well, I believe, too. But yeah, you're going to be able to get a version of it for the Game Boy Color. Was which slick. is a really cool game where um, you're in like full Nintendo 8-bit, and then you hit a button, and it's almost like in television graphics. But then at that point, you're back in time. And so things might be there in current time, but not in the past. And you have to keep going back and forth between the two. Right. To, it's kind of a puzzle platformer, but a very good one. I do remember that. Yeah. That's coming out. That's cool. That is cool. All right. Here's our our usual Tim segment. Tim, what do you have for us? I I can't do his voice, so I'm just going to be my voice. So, Tim says, Lotus Esprit Turbo. Uh, I think you went a little too far down. Did I? I have this one right here. Oh. (laughs) Jeez, I did. I'm sorry. Okay, Tim. SX2 FPGA MSX2 clone. That's a mouthful. (laughs) Let me let me, let me go back there. Fast. SX2 FPGA MSX2 clone from 8 bits forever. 
First batch was opened and then sold out right away. Based on the Altera Cyclone FPGA chip, 32 meg SD RAM, three expansion slots, micro SD, and VGA RGB sockets. And then there's a link here. So you literally said like two actual words. Everything else in there was an acronym. Yeah, that, <laughs> and that's what Tim said. So I, I am I'm a little I am a little confused. So what is this? Is it a replacement? Is it like a? Is it like the FPGA, like a like the Mister, but just does MSX two? So I'm looking at it now, and that's exactly <clears throat> what it looks like. It's that's... in this 3D printed case. It's got two DB9 ports on the front. Right. Um, most MSX computers obviously have a keyboard. This does not, so I'm sure you'd have to plug one in. Right. But it does have two cartridge slots, which all MSXs do. Yes. Especially the MSX twos. Um, I'm just kind of looking at pictures here. There's an on-off power switch on the side there. Yep. There's uh, a... Yeah, it looks like that's where you plug in the keyboards, the, like a PS2 keyboard. Yeah, on the right side here. Yep. And then, yeah, it's kind of hard to see. They're not showing that part. But yeah, it looks like there's a couple of uh, USBs here. Not sure what that would be for. Those were the ports. Those were the PS2 mouse port. And, oh, those uh, were... Okay, yeah, 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 yeah. And the DB9's in the front. <clears throat> yep. This must be... That's VGA. VGA out, and then you've got an audio jack over here, and yeah, I don't know, man. So that's what it is. I mean, listen, right now we got we got kind of lucky when we got our MSX twos. Did they just jump up again? Oh yeah, they're a lot more expensive now, and they're really? getting much harder to find. So this probably isn't a bad solution for someone just looking for an MSX two just to play games and do this and that on it. This probably isn't a bad deal at all. If it's if, and I'm going to say this because I'm a big Mr. fan, if it's a lot less expensive than the Mr., then the, this is a great deal. Plus, you get you do get to use regular cartridges. Yeah, it's got two cartridge ports, which the MSX uh, yeah. uses those for different things, including mm-hmm. memory expansions and things like that. So yep. um, Now, the Mr., you can plug in virtual cartridges. So you whatever you want, you can just plug in. So. This one does look cool. It's got a clear glass pane in the front so you can see <laughs> the guts. All right, so go ahead and take a guess. This is from uh, 8-Bits Forever Classic Computers, so www.8bitsforever.net. Okay. Check our link. So but It, it a- is FPGA. I already saw it. I accidentally just saw it, but uh, it is FPGA-based, so what do you think this thing costs? Okay, I'm going to take a guess here, yep. and, and I have no idea. It's the first time I've ever seen it. And it is in... It's in... Uh, here, close your eyes for a quick sec. Yeah, yeah. All right, it is in euros. Oh, I, oh, I can't do conversion on the fly. Um... Okay, you can you can look now. It's fine. Okay, I'll do I'll do I'll do euros then. Um, Three hundred and fifty euros. Mm. How much? You overshot by more than double. Really? One hundred and sixty euros. Well, that's not bad. How much is that? What's the conversion there? Do that in your head. Oh man, what is that, like two twenty? Now Doug's gonna be like wrong. Probably. <laughs> Hold on, I even have a button for that, don't I? <laughs> <laughs> Doug's but, like, uh, no, you can't do math. <laughs> um, yeah, 160 euros. That looks pretty cool. That's not ridiculous. So I got to plug in your own keyboard. Yeah, it's kind of a it's kind of a cool shape though. Yeah, I like it. I don't know what else to say. Nifty. Um, so you got the next one. Next here. on the list here is another item. Oh, I, I forgot I put another item from Stone Age Gamer on here. I can't get away from it. Um, they went ahead and, and by they, I mean a Terra Onion, right? This is Terra Onion, who makes the Neo SD Pro. I don't know. Yep. Yep. It is. So, Tim just did a big old segment last month. Right. On the 
uh, Neo Geo, AVS, and MVS. Right. The home system and the uh, arcade system. And again, the games, the physical <laughs> games for those things are enormous and very expensive. Very expensive, yes. Well, this one took the SD solution, the Neo SD, and added the word pro behind it and added another 200 bucks. So I think they were about four, 500 bucks. Now they're about 700 bucks with this. However, if you want to use real hardware and you want every game for it, this is much, much, much cheaper than even some games. Right. And I mean, <laughs> some of the games are so rare that I've seen them go for a, more than $10,000 per game. Yeah. So, you know, you, you can scoff at $700, but if you have a real system, you know, and you've, re, you've, you've refurbished it, it looks awesome, and you just want every single game in there, it's pretty cheap, to be honest. I mean, if I had a real Neo Geo system, I'd, I'd consider getting this. Um, so they made some updates to it. Apparently, it expands the Neo Geo AES hardware functions, allowing region changes. Um, you can select between the two different MVS and AES, jukebox, other functions without hardware modifications. Hmm. Um, they... So I guess this one simulates every chip present in the Neo Geo cartridges. I guess that maybe the pre- previous one didn't. Okay, uh, that's, um, that's a good point. I should probably know need to know more about all this in this crazy world, but it's important to know that this exists. Yeah. And uh, if to be completely honest, if I had a Neo Geo, yeah. I'd, I'd find a way to buy it. <laughs> yeah, I would too. I'd find a way to buy it. I mean, I, I don't. I, yes, that's a lot of money, but. Um... Do you ever go to that? Uh, have you ever taken your girls to the skating rink over there? Yeah, Kingsgate, Kingsgate, Grove, California. It, it looks like it's in a little mini hangar, like it's yep. shaped like the little hangar. But it, they have a Neo Geo cabinet in there. I always look at it; it's in rough shape. But I told you a story about that place, didn't I? I think we told the told it on the show here. Yeah, I don't remember what is it. I went over there and I I went over there a couple times, and every time I go over there, I'd play on their Last Action Hero pinball machine. Yeah. And uh, there's always one or two things broken, like not working on it, and then but it would always be different. Mm-hmm. And uh, I'm like, man, they must. Uh, I don't know if they how much they pay to keep this thing running, whatever. And I'm like, I should try to maybe I should just check and see if they ever sell it. Or like I'll make them an offer because I want to fix these up and sell them, yeah, or or keep them for a year or two and then sell it, whatever. And then last time I went in there, I'm like, I'm making an offer this time. And I go in there and it's not there. Yeah, and I, I talk to the woman. Yeah, okay. And she's like. I'm like, hey, do you still have that thing? She's like, oh no, no, we don't have it anymore. I'm like, oh man, I was gonna make an offer on you, uh, offer uh, for you on it. And she says, oh, I knew we should have. Uh, didn't uh, he just threw it away? Oh, I'm like no. you're killing me right now. She's like, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm like, someone will pay pay, pay hundred bucks or two hundred bucks for that. In my head, I'm like, that thing's worth like twenty five hundred bucks. Um, I'm like, she just tossed it. <laughs> she just tossed it. That's just end r- up in the dumpster. That makes me sad. Yeah, I I, I, I vaguely remember that that being there but i i don't kill me played it kill they, me kingsgate they do still have a neo geo though i always check it out when i go in there yep and uh ninja turtles and uh yeah, yeah, strikers right. 1945 yep um not that i go in there and nerd out on the video games <laughs> while the other parents are watching their kids skate but, you know it's cool <laughs> so but my next one here is uh streets of rage based is is about streets of rage 4 which is a game that i beat that's uh, right. You did beat this one, which is a rare occasion for me. I to still tried it. I love this game. I I did beat it, and now there is some DLC for it called Mister X Nightmare. Um, I didn't read too much about it though, but it does look like it 
more Streets of Rage. It's more Streets of Rage, more levels. Um, I, I, I honestly don't know too much more about it because it's. I don't think is it out yet. Um, it does say trailer. Yeah, it's not out. I don't think it's out yet. It's upcoming DLC. Yep, upcoming DLC. So that's why I probably didn't drill down too much on this, but I am looking forward to it. This might, if it's a reasonably priced DLC, I might get it. I really enjoyed this, and I, I could go back and beat it on a harder level, but I just decided to move on. But it would probably reignite. I love that he's attacking it. people with a swordfish right oh, now. Oh yeah, you can do all sorts <laughs> of cool stuff in here. It, you really should play this one. It is fantastic. I think you need to come over. We need to play it together. That would be awesome. I think I need to do some homework ahead of time though, and actually play the first two games, <laughs> so I know what I'm talking about. I still have not. There's played a, more than a couple minutes of those games. Yeah, and there's three of them. So yeah, but from what I heard, I don't need to play three. No, you don't. Okay. Actually, you don't really need to play one. Streets of Rage Two is where it's at. That's where it's at. That's where it's at. All right, I'll I'll, I'll give that a shot. Okay. Next up on the docket, Tim has Tim has something else to say. <laughs> yeah, I can finally say this one from Tim from the home offices of Tim. <laughs> Lotus Esprit Turbo. Oh, Lotus Esprit Turbo. Huh. Lotus STE. Remastered version of Lotus Esprit featuring enhancements for the STE. That's the Atari STE, Atari I, I imagine. STE. <clears throat> Mainly focusing on the Blitter chip enhancements like the road rendering, roadside scenery, and cars. New sky gradients to take into account, and enhanced color palette of the STE. Free to download from Atari Mania. Free is always good. I, I like free, and I have an STE, so I should give this a shot. Lotus is actually the first game I played on my Amiga. Is it? Yep. And that was the first you, game did I ever played. I did. I was yeah. actually pretty excited because I didn't know what to expect. Yeah. And uh, I'm like, wow, I actually, I actually kind of digging this. Yeah. Because I've it, never been a huge like Hang On fan or or Turbo Outrun. What do you call it? Outrun. Same here. Same here. But for whatever reason, Lotus Esprit is actually pretty fun. I really did. Lotus Two was the one I really liked. Yep. I follow a few people on um, on Twitter that are huge Atari fans and mainly Atari 16-bit fans, and they, I, I <clears throat> something like this would be, you know, the ST doesn't see a lot of new games, so this is, I mean, I know this is a remastered version, but yeah, yeah, this would be a fun to play. I, I got to bust out my ST and give this a shot. I still need to buy one from you. Yeah, well, you, mine's <laughs> not an STE though. That's is ST. This is required. Oh, you need the E at the end. Yours you is need the, the STF. So, the other one is the STF. Yeah, F, yeah. STF. Yeah, that's right. That's right. So, I probably should get on that before they get too high. Everything's going up. So it's sitting in my. It's just sitting in my. Well, it's not my garage. I brought it in now. Like I said, it's a bad shape. <laughs> it well, works. Maybe, maybe I need the STE to play Lotus though. Yeah, you should get the STE, and you. Can, I think you can still find them. I mean. I'll take a look. Yeah. I'll take a look. But I have to love the game anyways, because Lotus. I'm a huge Lotus fan. Um, did you see this one? I did see it, and you told me about it, and you said, you better be playing this, and I said, I'm gonna... My pet's out in the garage, because it's so big, it's hard to find a place yeah. in my game room to put it up. And every day, and I'm not joking, every day I would come home from work and see it in the garage on the shelf, and I was like... I got to pull that in and load up this Load Runner game because Load Runner is one of my favorite games. Never got to it. So yep. I apologize and I, I really want to. So I'm going to pull my real pet 2001 down and I'm going to play this and I, I will report back or I'll post some pictures on Twitter. So Load Runner was released on the pet. New game for the Commodore pet. And it looks to be, from what little I know about the pet, Yeah, it looks to be like 
one of the best games ever on the pet. And, and, <laughs> I mean, it, and it has to be because I, I got an SD2 pet from the future was 8-bit. Yeah. Our friends at the future was 8-bit. And I loaded it up with pet games and I played them and they are like, first of all, there's no joystick for the pet. So these are all keyboard games. Yeah. And most of them are just either text or ASCII or very rudimentary graphics. It's not easy to find good games on the pet. I will just say, let's say that. Uh, so this is uh, not news at this point, but last month in the news, speaking of ASCII, mm-hmm. we were talking about how, uh, what was that, Jet, Jetpack RX? Yes, yeah. Did you fr- they released the ASCII version that for the uh, the I, Spectrum ZX81? I put that on a news item, yeah. Did you try that? I did try it. Yeah. It's really good. <laughs> it's really good. It's and it really plays good. on a real ZX81. Yep, it sure does. So very similar to what I think Low Run- Loadrunner on the pet will be like. Like, it is yeah. the best ZX81 game. Yeah. <laughs> I, I got a it kick really out of it. Good. I, I got a kick out of it, and uh, the cool thing is the the guy sent it to me directly, like via my email. Yeah, same, same. And uh, uh, it was just a pleasant surprise to just get something out of the blue. And I was like, "What is this? It's probably just a reskinned version. Oh, this is going to be whatever." I loaded it up and I played it for about half an hour. I was like, "This is awesome! Yep. This it is, is really, really cool." So to make sure no one's lost here, it is the game Jetpack. Uh, souped up jetpack rx yep which is a popular game on the spectrum uh souped up and we called it the best version of jetpack you can get i love it i, I do think it's superior to the original jetpack which, it is it yeah. is they, they do a lot of things to make it have more longevity and more interest and yep and then uh it's all done in ascii characters which ascii is the characters your keyboard can make pretty much and only those things so yep. But the way it's programmed, like that, when the you're, the man in his jetpack is shooting up, like little ampersands and asterisks and stuff shoot out the back to show like the the jet, like yeah. just dumb little things like that. And the, the creatures are a mixture of like X's and lines and underscore. Like he made a game out of uh, text. Yeah, and it played <laughs> it was super good and super smooth. Man, I loved it. I played it and I was just really digging it. So. Was that released at all? Because at first he just gave it to people who had previously downloaded the other game, but... I don't know. I don't know. Are we talking about a game that no one, none of our listeners are going to be able to play, <clears throat> and so we're just making everybody mad? <laughs> it's possible. It's pretty cool. It is cool. So this next one is Turbo Sprint on for AGA Amigas, and I will say this looks beautiful. I, I think this... this uh... Boat and I won't be able to tell. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> AGA doesn't mean anything to us. But if you check, check out the graphics on this thing... Um, it it really just looks like Turbo Sprint. I it it top down racing game. Yeah, to, a little cool top down racing game. If you remember this one from the arcade, you could like whip the wheel around to like go around corners and this and that. So it's funny because I always knew Outrun, which was you know a successor to this game. Yeah, but I'd never I heard Sprint a bunch, but I I've honestly never played it. So this actually doesn't hold a lot of nostalgia, or I don't know much about Sprint. Okay, but I mean, it, you never played it in the arcades? No. No. Yeah, I mean, it, it basically had wheels and a pedals and stuff like that, and you... It looks like Outrun without kind of the obstacles. Yeah. <laughs> when you say Outrun, do you mean something else? I don't... Off-road, I'm sorry. Off-road, because when you said Outrun, I was like, wait a minute. <laughs> You're right. Our goal is just to make as many listeners yell at us through their car speakers as possible. Exactly. We saved it from Arata, though. We caught it. We caught it. We got it. And <laughs> yeah, Doug will still give it to us. Exactly. Um, I think this looks really, really good. I mean, yes, it's it's even in the arcade, it was a more basic game, but it really is a cool 
I think it's a very cool version of this uh, yeah. for AGA Amigas. Now, it looks fantastic, but I do wonder why it requires AGA. Maybe someone just wanted to program with with those with that toolkit. <laughs> Again, AGA. I don't. I don't know what it is to this day. I don't really know what it is. Um, just enhanced gra- uh, <laughs> graphics, color palette, stuff like that. I mean, I did. I mean, well, <clears throat> listen, on the Amigos, boat always goes on and he rails about AGA. You've, I'm sure you've heard his diatribes about well, and that. I've, and I always agreed with him. I'm like, thank you. At least mm-hmm. somebody's saying it. And it's a guy that has one of the most, you know, listened to Amiga shows out there. Yeah. And I agree because har- I can hardly tell. I and, can and, hardly and, tell. And I can't really argue with that other than when AGA is put in, in a good programmer's hands, I think you can see very slight differences. And that's all I'll say. Yeah. So I'm not going to get all up in arms about it. I don't know if it's worth someone la- that is getting. Well, I could get an Amiga 500 souped up, or I'd get an Amiga 1200. Yeah, I like the 1200 because it has all the added IDE stuff and all, and the PCMCA slot and all the cool stuff. That's why I wanted a 1200. The AGA, yeah, okay. I mean, you get a game like Banshee, which is an AGA game that looks fantastic. Yeah, for me, the the, the benefit of having the 1200, which I love my 1200. That's my number one. Mm-hmm is there are games that are AGA only and not on the lower that, systems, and that, I, I want to be able to play everything. Like Banshee. And and Banshee, to me, is one of the highlights of the AGA platform. But anyway, I thought this one was cool. Yeah. And another Amiga game that was released. So, hey. Right. Hey, hey, hey. Uh, another game we talked about a while back that came out. Good, uh, good month for modern releases on retro consoles, yeah. as was last month. Mm-hmm. Um, boop, boop, boop. Here we go. Intellivania. Castlevania on the Intellivision is now available for order. This is insane. <laughs> really is, because I did so see this. Cool I, I saw a little video on this, and I'm just, I'm floored that they could even get Castlevania up and going, and it looks really good. I mean, like, have you seen the MSX version of Castlevania? I mean, it, yeah. it, it, it looks great. I mean, it looks really good, but it looks like it, 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 it's the MSX. I mean, it should be, it should look pretty good. Yeah. This looks like the MSX version. It's pretty close, and you're talking about, yeah, an Intellivision, you're which is... You're talking which is Not insane. half the system. And <laughs> um, yeah, Eric's going to go ahead and turn on the lights here, because we're sitting in some romantic light now that the sun has gone down. I was having a hard time reading my script here. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I'm watching this video here with, uh, with uh, forget this gentleman's name, and you can see he's actually got the physical game with the box and the manual, and it looks, I mean, it looks sweet. Oh there's the wow! Ins- there's the inserts for your Intellivision. That this might be worth getting the boxed version. Yeah, yeah, very cool. And the gameplay, man, I don't know how they did that. Side scrolling on the Intellivision. Side scrolling. Look at how fast the whip is. I mean, that's pretty incredible. Unfortunately, it doesn't change how wonky the controller is. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah, very cool. Very cool. D make. Um. You can call it a port or a demake. In this case, I, I classify it as a demake. Right. But um, oh look, little secret cool. areas. Well, yeah, that's the wall chicken. Yeah, the mm. wall chicken. Don't you usually when you have a whip in your hand, don't you usually try to break concrete yeah, yeah. walls to see I if do. there's fully cooked chickens inside. But it's impressive. The Intellivision has all the little details. I mean, that's pretty yeah. cool. Yeah. All right. Cool. I like it. So my next one is a game on the Commodore sixty four that is called monstro giganto i'm hearing so much about this game all over the place and it these characters on the screen are it's it's almost like a fighting game but the characters on the screen take up a huge portion of the screen and 
they are out of Petsky Graphics, which we were just talking about ASCII, yeah. which is the character set for normal like IBM PC type deal is ASCII. Yep. But Petsky was the same thing, but on the Commodore 64. And, and it was more shapes than it, it text. Ex- it extends the, it extends the, um, the, you know, the characters. So there are little like squiggly lines and curves and stuff like that, but it is really cool. Like this is almost like it reminds me of that. Like, uh, what is that robot game? The Rock'em Sock'em Robots. Rock'em Sock'em Robots, but like uh, these big giant it's kaiju. It's like uh, it's Godzilla like... and um, yeah, Godzilla and uh, what am I thinking of? King Kong. Yep, and you those can kind bl- of characters. It looks like you can block and do different moves, like an uppercut and and punches, and it just looks really cool. I'm gonna have to try it. <clears throat> it, it. I heard great things about it. It looks really unique. <clears throat> but uh, just because it's a fighting game, it doesn't like draw me in. Yeah, but I mean, you I'm not liked, big on fighting games. But it's it almost looks like two D. Cool. Um, like what was the Tyson game on on NES? Punch um, out, punch out. It's almost like a flat two D punch out. Kind of. It's cool. You see the the skyline at the bottom of the screen, and you're you only see your monsters from like the uh, belly button up. Yeah, over the top of the sky, the skyscrapers and stuff. But looks like it's got cutscenes and stuff. I mean, really. Really cool. Yeah. Monstro Giganto. Yep. Something to look for. Um, yeah, I mean it's already been released. We need to we need to give that a shot for sure. Yeah. Uh new Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle arcade game. What? Um let's click on this bad boy right here. Shredder's Revenge. Um it is definitely a inspired by the old arcade game, modern four-player TMNT brawler. And this is looking gonna, super cool. It's like Streets of Rage 4, but... Uh, it's made by the same people, right? I'm, I think it is. Um, okay. I, you're probably right. It looks like it's on Steam at the moment. Uh, coming to PC and consoles soon, it says. Okay. Um, and I might be wrong about that, so, I mean, I don't know, but I, I thought I read something that it was by the same people, or might, maybe it was released by the same publisher, but... It's going to be like a little, it's like a beat-em-up, pretty much like the Teenage Mutant Ninja yeah. Turtle games, and I did I did see some videos on this, and it looks fantastic. I'll definitely get this. I mean, I really liked all the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle games, so. Yeah, that's right. That's huge nostalgia bomb for me, too, and it, it somehow captures that look while mod- making it more modern mm-hmm. uh, without losing anything. A whole lot of cutscenes from, I don't know, it looks really cool. <laughs> so I'll have to get that a shot. Another blast from my past. And then Eric's got one here that uh, I guess Chris Folds sent in, huh? Yeah, Chris Folds from the Amiga Network. Uh, I saw, and he didn't post this in our area, but he posted this in general, so I want to give him credit. There oh, was we this, just stole it from him for our show. Cool. Ex- exactly. This is a C64 Bitcoin miner. <laughs> uh, it's legit. I know this isn't gaming, but I know that you were uh, dabbling in some Bitcoin action. Yeah. So... This is pretty cool. If you wanted to, if you, your offline cycles for your Commodore 64, you could just leave plugged in and sit oh, there. I'm it. sure that the Commodore 64 is going to make me rich. Exactly. Uh, but I just thought that was funny. The cool, the cool thing to me is, the, you know, about a year ago or maybe more, someone came out with a Bitcoin miner, but it looked kind of, it was just text and it, it did, it did Bitcoin mining, but it didn't look very good. This one actually looks like a professional little app you know it gives you all the like little statistics and this and that 
uh, this one, it does have to connect to the internet, obviously, because it has to tap into the uh, the blockchain. So you do need some way to connect to the internet, like a serial modem or what, whatever way you do that. But I just thought this was pretty neat. Totally yeah. useless, but if you can well, do it, somebody's going to do you it. You can make pennies. <laughs> make literally pennies off of this. Yeah. That's fun. Yep. Um, so someone named David posted the next one, but I don't know what the, uh, who's David. This is our last news item. Okay, what is that? Now, there's a lot more news out. I think, uh, you know, you and I, Eric, had uh, a lot going on again this month, so we did. not a whole lot of mo- news, but David Vincent uh, sent me this one, one of our Patreon subscribers, and uh, it's, <laughs> it's uh, funkyproject.com, but basically what this is, is the Game Boy Micro... Yeah. Micro. Twice. Twice Mm -hmm. is micro. I I did see this, by the way. Yeah. Yeah. So somebody is um, from Funky Key S, Fun Key S, all your games on your keychain. And they literally are coming out with this. It looks like a a Game Boy SP. Yeah. And it is just teeny, teeny, tiny. And it's another one of these things that's like, that's cool that they can make it. And they're selling them and it looks like. Atomic purple, original purple, and retro gaming gray, um, and it, it looks pretty legit that they're they're coming out with this product and selling it. But and, and it works, and it works. It has buttons. It looks just like a a very very small keychain version of a Game Boy SP that plays. Yep, Full, I guess games off of SD cards. Fully functional, but it. So I, I so the funny story behind this is when I first saw this, I was like, that looks amazing. I want one. Actually, look at this real quick. Sorry, let me yeah. pause it. Plays Game Boy, Game Boy Color, Game Boy Advance, NES, SNES, PS1, N64. Yeah. Mega Drive, Link's Atari, Wonders. It sounds like it's just got RetroArch in it. Pretty much. Yeah. <laughs> All right. But when I first saw this, I was like, I, I saw a picture of it in a vacuum, like just, just sitting on a table or something. I was like, I want it. This looks amazing. Then I saw that, like it, in someone actual's hand. Actually and I, using it, yeah. Hands, and I was like, that is too small. That's it's ridiculous. Dumb. So like, I, I, no, I'm <laughs> I lost interest completely. Now, yeah. I think it's neat, and I think I, if people want to spend their time making stuff like this, I think it's really cool. Yeah. I mean, I do think it's really neat. I And I think he'll make money off of it. Yeah, those little tiny things are just too hard to play. I mean, I I don't know who's doing it. Not only are my hands too big, my eyesight's not that great. Yeah, so, I, I mean, have a hard time playing just like the original Game Boy because of how small the screen is. Yes, exactly. Nonetheless, one that's a fifth of that size. <clears throat> yep. Um, that being said, I know the price won't be this, but if I saw that like on a store shelf and in a blister card for twenty nine ninety nine, I'd buy it. Right. But I'm sure that's not what they're going to be. Fact, I just, I just wish you, this dude would make that, but a regular Game Boy size, like a regular Game Boy Advance size. Yeah. I mean, that would be awesome. It's a great form factor. Yeah. I wonder why he wanted to go. So, I guess because it's, they show a picture of it in his pocket, but his pocket makes it look yeah. way too small. Right. Um, <clears throat> lithium-ion battery, charging indicator, mono speaker. Here you go. Here's the uh, IPS screen is 1.52 inch, 240 by 240. I want to see the price. Where's your price, bruh? Oh, it says open source. So I guess you 3D print it yourself. I don't know. I, I yeah. I'm not that interested to look any further, to be honest. But it looks like they have retail versions of it. So no, oh, wait, I, here we go. Order. I'm gonna click order. Let's see what happens when I click order. Uh, it was funded, Kickstarter, 
165,000 euros. Why? Gosh, man. 2,000 backers. It was, yeah, 65 euros for that thing. Yeah. I'd and, have to pass just because it's just too tiny. Yeah, it's just going to end up on a shelf somewhere, which I don't mind, but not for that price. Yeah. Cool. Hey, guys, that's the news. Wow. News. That in- went by relatively quick. News in the books. News in the books. We'll try to get a little bit more news for you guys next month. Um, want to let you guys know, coming up this episode, we're going to hear from Tim. Yeah. With his uh, usual, I, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't say usual, his unusual tea time with Tim. Yeah. He's got a little Atari-related surprise for us. Um, and I'll just let him take it away there. On the next episode of Pixel Guide In, which should be out on the 30th of April... Assuming there is a 30th, because apparently <laughs> I thought there was a 30th of February. Right. Um, we will have Cody's Corner, in which I will talk about some game reviews I've done on some modern games. Uh, so, Alex Kid 3, uh, Soul Force on the C64, and Trophy on the NES. Cool. So, check that out. I, that sounds interesting. Uh, all games definitely worth hearing my review on, in my opinion. Uh, but then right here after, right here today, after Tea Time with Tim, we're going to hear you, Eric. Yep, and I'm talking about, I went down a wonderful hardware rabbit hole with the Game Boy Player for the GameCube. Uh, I got really into it, and there, it's an amazing device that uh, somehow I overlooked all these years. It's very versatile, and there are a lot of really cool little things you can do with it, so I cover that in my segment. Perfect. And then uh, after that, we'll catch back to you guys live here while we cover a battle of the systems. It's Animaniacs versus Animaniacs. Yeah, SNES versus Genesis. Perfect. Hey guys, how about we take a little break and check with our friend over the pond? That's right, it's tea time with Tim. And coming up next on Pixel Gaiden, it's tea time with Tim. Hey everyone, it's Tim from the Pixel Garden Podcast, and today we're going to be talking all about the Atari Jaguar. So then, the Atari Jaguar. This one is my Jaguar. Here it is. <laughs> so this, the Atari Jaguar, um, is a console from the around about the very start of the 90s, probably uh, 92, 93, somewhere like that. This was released. Um, it was Atari's last hurrah. Um, this and the Atari Falcon uh, was pretty much the death nail of Atari as as we knew it back in the day originally. Um, now this very Jaguar um, I purchased um, from a retailer, um, mail order retailer as they were then, not online. Um, and uh, this very one actually cost me, I think it was around about £39, £40. They were selling these off really, really cheaply. This particular Jaguar has stayed in its box pretty much ever since um, I purchased it. Um, it's travelled with me um, as I've moved house and gone through my life over the last few years. Um, I've been waiting for one very special little thing which we're going to cover off here or today on the video. Um, but 
this has been something I've been waiting for a while for um, to finally get my Jaguar up and running. Um, so first off, let's do a quick unboxing and let's see what's inside the box and look at the condition of this Jaguar because it's pretty much uh, new old stock. So here we are then, uh, here's my Atari Jaguar. So let's uh, take a quick look at the box, let's spin it around. Uh, and uh, on the back we can clearly see we've got the Jaguar. Um, there's a few games um, shown on the back here, along with I think it's the Jaguar CD as well. Um, so let's just have a quick look on the box. We can see we've got uh, a few games there. Uh, there's Troy Aikman football, there's Checkered Flag, uh, Tempest 2000, among a few others. Uh, you can see the Jaguar and the controller. And uh, it's a lovely box, this one. Um, really nice, distinctive Jaguar logo. So let's have a look in the box. Uh, let's flip it around and uh, open up. So inside the uh, box, we've got the uh, cardboard uh, innards and uh, this hasn't been open for many many years uh, so this is a new in the box or as in new old stock Jaguar uh, which I purchased many many years ago so let's pull it out of the box there's the uh, the keyboard overlay for Cybermorph uh, let's just close the box up and then uh, we'll pop the box down and uh, see what's in the actual case itself. So in here, let's turn it around. We've got the Atari Jaguar. Uh, we've got the power supply. We've got the gamepad. Um, so yeah, let's have a look, see what we've got here. So going from the start, let's, let's take out the Jag. And there it is uh, in its nice plastic uh, poly bag. Uh, never come out of that bag, I don't think. And there's the uh, the back of the Jaguar. We've got the serial number and all that sort of stuff on the back. Uh, there's the uh, the warranty card, the original card that came with it. And we've got the uh, the overlay. Uh, so that's the, like a little keypad overlay. Because if you didn't know, the um, the joy pads have got a keyboard on them little keyboard there's the Jaguar manual so that's the user's guide um, so it's nice um, black and uh, red logo uh, inside we've got all the instructions how to set up the Jaguar uh, then we've next we've got the Cybermorph manual uh, so again this has never been opened and now we've got the original receipt uh, so this is the bill that I got when I bought this uh, so this was from a company called Gameplay, who were clearing out a load of old, uh, well not old, but obviously new old, new stock uh, that they had in. Um, and so we, I paid the princely sum of £34.99 in t uh, the year 2000 for that Jaguar. Uh, so here's the controller. So again, all nice and new in its poly bag, so never been opened. Um, so you can see you've got the keypad on there, you've got three buttons, there's the uh, controller cable with the uh, controller port with the Atari logo on it, and uh, an RF cable, that's not much use, we'll just put that down there. There's the Cybermorph game, so that's the cartridge, the pack-in title that comes with it. 
So we'll have a look at that in a bit. Pop that down there a minute. Yeah. And then we've got the uh, the adapter, the power adapter. Um, so yeah, that's the one that comes with the Jaguar. And pop that down there and pop it back in the box. And uh, yeah, so that's the Atari Jaguar. Pick up that cable and uh, we'll just pop it all back in the box neatly how it came in. We're going to unpack this in a bit and uh, get the console all set up. Uh, but I'm just going to pop the console and everything back in the box. Um, and then we'll, um, I'll get it all out again in a bit and uh, get it all set up so we can give it a try. So there's the Jaguar just going back in and we'll pop the Cybermorph back in. And I think we're good to go. Let's just pop the box back up on there so you can see that lovely Jaguar logo. Okay, so here we are. We've got the Jaguar all set up now. So this is the first time this has been plugged in in many, many years. So I've got the Jaguar set up. I've got the uh, joypad connected. I've got it connected through to the power and I've got a SCART cable that I recently picked up. So I've now got that plugged in through my upscaler. So I'm recording a video at the same time as doing this audio for Tea Time with Tim. So we're going to put out a video of this as well. So, okay, without any further ado, let's switch the Jaguar on and see if we get the trademark raw from the jaguar as it powers on for the very first time in many many years let's give it a go shall we there we go there's the startup sound so now we're going to see if cybermorph's going to run We've got the Cybermorph cartridge connected up, and that is the music from the Cybermorph game. So this is designed by ATD, copyright 1993 Atari Corporation. This was programmed and written by Fred Gill, Brian Pollock, graphics by Chris Gibbs, Ian Harling, and BJ West. So it's given us the high score screen now. So this game will eventually, I think, from memory, dip into a demo mode. I don't know whether uh, no, let's see if we can get into the game actually let's give this a very quick go I don't want to be too long on this oh there we go there's the demo mode so if you've not seen Cyberfo Cybermorph before um, thank you thank you for wishing us good luck it's a um, 3D flight flying shooting game you fly over the landscapes um, you can move up and down left and right speed up speed down fire your pulse laser um, the idea is is to shoot all the pods across the landscape um, and complete each level. So there's lots of different aliens that you can shoot. Um, so let's just knock back the, the sound back on there a bit. Uh, so you can probably hear me now. Um, <laughs> so yeah, so this is uh, that's Cybermorph. Um, let's uh, move over now and we're actually going to get into the reason why I've managed to dig out my Jaguar after all these years. So I'll be back with you in a moment. Okay, so we're back. 
Um, as you may be able to see on the screen if you're watching the video, um, for those that um, aren't watching the video at the moment, you're listening as normal on the podcast, um, I am going to show you how to use and set up a recently acquired device for the Jaguar, which is the Jaguar Game Drive. This, if you don't know, um, is the uh, game drive for the Jaguar that allows you to play all the uh, ROM cartridge games straight off of an SD. Now, these devices are quite hard to get hold of. They're in uh, quite popular demand. Um, I have managed to snag one recently in the last um, month or so, and I've been eagerly waiting to try and use this device. Um, and I had to wait for my birthday, uh, which was at the beginning of April, uh, to be actually able to um, uh, get this in into my hands as it were i also ordered a, a jaguar scart cable which we just used a minute ago um, because this jaguar's never has just never has been turned on i don't i can't even remember turning it on when i first bought it all those years ago i think it was in the year 2000 now um so yeah so we are going to uh plug in the game drive into the Jaguar which I've actually done uh, for the sake of people not watching the video that's already plugged in I've not powered it on before um, so we're going to just quickly run through how we set up I think I've I watched a couple of videos of people doing it so um, this latest version um, requires you to uh, download the firmware um, from the retro hq website um, uh, the latest firmware and you have to do that by scanning a qr code because i believe each qr code is individual to each jaguar game drive um, this i believe was done to stop people reverse engineering the jaguar game drive um, so the latest firmware um, is not available generally and each firmware is done i believe for for each individual cartridge so anyway without further ado let's let's give this a try so let's let's read the instructions um, so it says thank you for purchasing the jaguar game drive cartridge from retro hq which is www.retrohq.co.uk the jag gd allows you to play atari jaguar games and homebrew rom cartridges directly from a memory card your game saves where supported uh, will be stored on a memory card alongside your games so everything's stored in one place. Getting started. The JAG GD cartridge needs to be updated with the latest firmware before it will function. To do this, insert the JAG, CD, JAG GD cartridge and power on your Jaguar. A screen will be displayed with a QR code and a website address, similar to the one shown below. So that's in the little manual. Either scan the QR code or visit the website manually to get the latest firmware. Okay, so what we're going to do now then um, is we're going to have a very quick look on the Retro HQ website. Um, so over on the video, I'm just going to switch this image off. Uh, that one. And we've got the Retro HQ website. So this is showing um, the Jaguar um game drive um, and uh, selection of images so you can always go and visit that over upon the website of uh, like i say retrohq.co.uk um, so a quick uh, description of the device so it says again um, 
the Retro HQ Jaguar Game Drive cartridge allows you to play back the full catalogue of Jaguar games and homebrew directly from a memory card. Uh, the Jaguar Game Drive has full support for all games of all sizes of EEPROMs um, used to save games progress. The EEPROM contains contents are saved directly to memory card along with your game. So everything is stored in one place. We did that one earlier. Um, you will need to provide a memory card, which is the um, micro SD card. And it needs to be formatted to FAT or FAT32 and your own ROM images. So it can be a JAG, a J64, a ROM, BIN or an ABS file to play the games. Uh, a selection of freeware games are linked in the reference section below, which I've already downloaded those. The latest firmware for the original Jaguar game drive, uh, recognisable by a different label from the above, can be found below. Uh, for the new style Jaguar game drive, please follow the on-screen instructions when you boot the cartridge to access firmware updates. Uh, so it says the distributors in the UK who I got my one through is Retro Gamer Stuff, uh, Retro Towers in the UK, uh, Dragon Box in Germany, Atari Age in the USA and Stone Age Gamer in the USA. Uh, which is well known to listeners or and the, the guys from Pic the Pixel Guide and Port, uh, podcast because I know Cody and Eric both use Stone Age Gamer quite a bit. So the hardware compatibility, uh, Atari Jaguar without a Jagu Jaguar CD installed. That's no problem for me. I don't own the Jaguar CD. Um, so EEPROM support for 128, 512 and 2048 by EEPROMs. Uh, 16 FAT, uh, FAT16 32 formatted, MMC compatible micro memory card, JagLink currently not supported. Uh, software compatibility all retail and homebrew games working um, and then you've got resources at the bottom so you've got a uh, firmware uh, which is the latest one for the original jaguar game drive which is not the one that i've got uh, a marquee creator tool um, a reboot game pack which is the freeware game pack that i've downloaded <coughs> there's a bad apple demo um, a reboot uh, so then you can also link to the reboot games website for um, the new homebrew Atari Jaguar games um, and will quest for money which is a freeware demo version the physical can release can be purchased at the Pedalee's web shop okay so that's a quick run through of the jaguar game drive website over at retrohq.co.uk um, so let's uh, move out of that one for the moment um, and what we'll do now is uh, we're going to um, have a look at the um, the actual uh, Jaguar itself, and we're going to try and um, power on the Jaguar for the first time with the game drive inserted. So give us a second. So we've got Retro HQ come up. Oh, okay. Well, this appears to have the firmware in it, I think. It's just powered up into the uh, the game drive menu. Um, so let's have a quick look. Okay, so maybe I don't need to do all that then. Um, so this is truly the first time I've switched this on. So luckily I've prepared a... Um, 
uh, an SD card which I've already put in there. Um, I watched a couple of videos on this, and it's just pretty simple. Um, you can download your the freeware games to test it out um, off of the uh, the Retro HQ website. Um, you just literally just pop them into a folder. Uh, you can put them onto the root of the SD card if you want to, uh, but I think it's better to put it in a folder called Jaguar, um, and then you can actually individually split up those um, folders into sort of like commercial releases, and then maybe even subfolders in there, sort of like A to P or something like that, and split them up alphabetically. Um, because I do think that even though there aren't a huge amount of Jaguar titles, um, running them directly from all from the um, root of the drive. I think the the directory listing can chug a little bit um, from the um, from the menu without uh, splitting it up. So options that we've got through the menu screen, we've got uh, button A, which is to navigate. B is to select. Uh, C upper directory. Um, UD, which is move, and O, which is version. Um, so let's go to, uh, let's select, oh yeah, there we go. Um, so we've selected the folder, the Jaguar folder. So I've broken this into commercial releases, demos, and freeware. Um, so let's go into, well, let's go to demos. Did I put anything in there? No, I didn't. Okay. Uh, so let's go C up directory. That should take us back. Does it? No, there we go. Okay, uh, let's go commercial then. Uh, let's go 8K. Oh, I've got nothing in there. So I thought I set this all up. Let's have a look in freeware. Okay, so we've got something in there. Uh, so we've got downfall. Um, we've got expressway. We've got circle rocketeer. We've got HMS Raptor. We've got Kobayashi, Kobayashi Maru, uh, which I'm guessing is kind of like a, a must be a play on the Star Trek game, Star Trek uh, scenario. Superfly. Um, we've got Degs, and we've got Beatrice Tribute Rom. Okay, um, so let's look at Downfall. I think uh, Cody's played this one on the Switch recently. Uh, so let's have a quick look at this one and see if this will work. So it says loading ROM, so it obviously loads it into uh, into a section on the cartridge, ready for playing. We've got the Jaguar going now. A familiar Jaguar startup sound now. So is it going to start up the game? Yes. So this is done by Reboot. Let's have a bit of music. Pump up the music, pump up the tunes. So we've got options B to play. So it says pick up fruit for more points <laughs> to enable bonus items. 
It just went off the screen. So code is by Serrano Jones and Saron. Nice tune. Graphics by Nero Shree. Nero Shree. So let's give this a try then. So I think it was B to start, wasn't it? So here we go. We we're running across. So we've got to jump across the platforms and try and pick items up along the way. Oh, no. I went off the side of the screen. <laughs> that obviously doesn't work. So it's relatively simple complex. Uh, yeah, relatively simple game by the looks. Okay, so there we go. So the Jaguar SD drive appears to be working. It appears I didn't need to do the firmware update. Um, so I wonder if we can just get some of those um, other commercial games on there that I managed to find. Um, let, let, let me see if I can update those on the SD card and we'll come back in a moment. Okay, we are back. Uh, apologies for that. Um, yeah, I found the problem. Um, I'd copied all the games across, all the ROMs across, but they were all in zip files. Um, so because you have to literally um, only use the, uh, the the valid extensions, so like the .j64 file, etc., etc., um, it won't read them directly through from the zip file. So you have to go through and unzip all the ROM files um, directly back onto the SD card. So I've just taken a little while and done that. So now we've got a whole stack of games. So let's turn the Jaguar on again and um, let's see what we've got. So Jaguar is going back on again. And OK, right. So we've now got... Um, now got our directory back up so this time um, what I'm going to do is I'm going to move down into the Jaguar directory now we press B to select and go back into my commercial folder and we're going to look for Tempest 2000 because I've been itching to play this because I'm a big Jeff Minter game fan and this was um, a, an absolute tour de force on the Jaguar um, so where are we Troy Aikman no um, Tempest 2000 there we are let's power this one up so it's loading the ROM into the cartridge takes a few seconds I guess depending on what size the cartridge is and then it boots up so we should have the familiar Jaguar roar got the Jaguar spinning logo the cube logo and here we are so we are into Tempest 2000 so this is copyright 1981 and 1994 Atari Corporation um, so this was recreated by um, Jeff Minter or Llamasoft in 1994 for the Jaguar um, so just to describe what's going on, so this is just uh, the title screen um, and we've got the logo Tempest 2000 um, and it kind of morphs um, in and out of the screens. We've got the familiar uh, sort of like uh, the vector style graphics that are 
um, is obviously common on um, Tempest. Uh, we've got High Score Table, and of course, uh, the mighty Yak, uh, Jeff himself, is in first place on the High Score Table. Uh, so we've got uh, game designed, original game designed by Dave Thrura, uh, Jaguar version designed by Yak, which is obviously, as we know, Jeff Minter, bitmap artwork by Joby, uh, tunes by Magitech Design, uh, game testing by Joe, Andrew, Hans and Goku, uh, voices by Ted and... Oh, it's scrolled off the screen. <laughs> okay, so fire to play. So it's actually going to run through a little demo, but I'm going to get into the game so we've got um on tempest 2000 we've got some different game modes to change um so we can select the game type to play so we've got traditional which is the sort of like the normal tempest to tempest as you would have played in the arcade back in the day tempest plus tempest 2000 and tempest duel so as you can hear as i move through it says excellent um so let's go with the traditional so i'm selecting that with button b and again the kind of like the screen morphs and we get some really thumping music which is really cool uh so you can select your level that you want to start at so i'm just going to go into the basic level so we've got kind of like a um, a star field effect on the screen and it's sort of like coming towards you and then we've got the kind of like the vector graphic of the first level just swirling around so it's like a cylindrical tube the first level so you're looking down into the tube um with the with the sort of like the vector um mapped plots of the different segments of the of the um circumference of the circle i guess so we've got three lives to start off with we're at zero points um, so what we what we do is we move around the circle in a left and right motion. We fire with button B, um, and then we've got um, <clears throat> the red aliens that come in from the bottom of the tube. And the idea is is to not let them get to the top of the uh, of the top of the tube, which they've just done and caught me. <laughs> it's been a while since I've played this game. Um, but this just seems absolutely excellent. Um, is it a 64-bit game? Well, I'm not really sure. Um, I, I guess it's using a fair bit of the console. I mean, the music is obviously brilliant. Um, the graphics do shift along. Um, is it anything kind of like the Amiga could have not done? I, I'm not sure. Maybe. Uh, obviously, I guess playing the music. Um, but anyway, yeah, I mean, it, it's don't get me wrong, Tempest 2000 is still fantastic. Probably shot you, just got me. Um, probably one of the one of the better Jaguar releases, anyway. Um, there is a lot of um, not so good games on the Jaguar. Um, I didn't go with the usual one, I guess most people would probably gone traditionally with Alien vs. Predator. I wanted to spend a bit more time digging into that game and it being a bit of a surprise when I first power it on. But yeah, this is this is Tempest 2000. It's a, a great shooter, pick up and play. I would highly recommend you have a look at this one. If you're lucky enough to own a Jaguar at the moment and have got the Jag SD, then go for it. Um, believe it or not, I do actually have the original of this game. Um, I've got the original cartridge and I've just never never used the Jaguar up until this point um, so this is the first time we're experiencing it together um, 
So anyway, I guess we should probably end on this because this is uh, the episode of Tea Time with Tim and the video is probably dragging on a bit now. Um, so thank you very much uh, for watching and for listening and I'll see you on the next episode and I'll hear you on the next episode of Pixel Guiden. Bye. This month for Eric's Take, I wanted to cover this wonderful hardware rabbit hole I went down regarding the GameCube, which is a system I don't play all that often, but uh, had a lot of fun with it this month, uh, trying out a new piece of hardware that I never had any experience with. Uh, And that thing that I'm going to talk about is the Game Boy Player. Uh, It is a device that attaches to your GameCube that allows you to play Game Boy, Game Boy Color, and Game Boy Advance games. And before I go into it, I want to tell a small little side story of how I got interested in this. A few months back, uh, I got a Super Game Boy from a local shop here, and it wasn't working too well. It's kind of flaky. Uh, It only plays Game Boy games or Game Boy dual, um, dual mode Uh, Game Boy Color games, which there's uh, not a ton of those. So really, it's just Game Boy games. And it works well enough uh, when it works. It's it's a little, the one I have at least is a little finicky. Uh, If you wiggle the cartridge around, it'll stop working. I wasn't really too happy with it. It's probably fine as a product, but the one I got seems to have some issues. So basically, I've been looking for a way to play Game Boy and Game Boy Advance games on the big screen. And so a couple of months ago on the show, we covered the new re- uh, Hyperkin Retron SQ, which is a little tiny cube that you can just plug your cartridge in and and it comes with some digital controllers. Um, it, it You could also use your, um, I, I think, other game pads and things like that, and it connects into uh, an HDMI port so you can play it on regular TVs. Uh, and I was really excited about that, so I wanted to wait until it came out and give it a shot. Well, some reviewers got it on YouTube, and it looks like the emulation that is used on these little machines is not ready for prime time. It looks like the Game Boy games play okay, but the Game Boy Advance games are hit or miss. And generally, the reviews just weren't very good. Good. Now, it's for, you can update the firmware on those things, so I imagine it's going to get better and better over time, and I imagine that it's going to get to a point where it's really good. Hyperkin usually has some pretty decent little machines for the price. So anyway, I was just going around on the internet looking for things, and I started reading about the Game Boy Player. Now, the Game Boy Player, I'm not going to go into the statistics like when it came out and this and that, but I will tell you that it is a device that plugs into the bottom of your GameCube. It slots into the high-speed serial port on the bottom. And there's these little thumb screws that you tighten down to attach it to your device. And there's a little eject slider so you can eject cartridges out of the side. And basically, it is a... It is a way that you can plug in a Game Boy, a Game Boy Color, or a Game Boy Advance cartridge right into the front, and it will just show up on your uh, screen. So I kind of started diving into that and the pros and cons, and it seemed like it was a 
pretty well-received item. Uh, so I, I went online and I was pleased to find that most of them go for around 40 to $60, which isn't too bad. So I decided to pull the trigger on one and but then something odd happened. I, I kept running into ones on eBay that were $200 and $180. And then there were also ones between $40 and $60. So what's the difference? So as I looked at the ads on here, one of the key differences is the boot disc. It requires a boot disc that came with the Game Boy Player that you put in your GameCube. And that boot disc basically is the software that allows the device to run. And I found that at, that, for some reason, is extremely rare these days. Uh, either kids lost them or they're all scratched up beyond repair. If you find that, the, now the disc alone goes for about $99 on, on eBay. So that kind of goes hand in hand with the cost increase for certain Game Boy players. So that got me thinking. So I went online and quickly found bootleg copies of the boot disk that you can find. Now, to run that disk, you're going to need one of two things. You're going to need a chipped GameCube, which we covered on a past episode of Pixel Gaiden. Uh, the, the, it's called the Xeno-GC chip, and they're very cheap. I think they're under $10 or $15.00. And you do have to solder that into your GameCube. But once you do that, you can just boot this bootleg copy of the Game Boy Player Disc and you are in business. Another way that you can play that is to use something like Swiss to boot the disc. Um, and there are various ways to run uh, Swiss, which I'll cover in a minute. But basically, you have to find a way to run bootleg software if you want to get a replacement disc for that. Um, and, it, and that can be kind of tricky in it of itself. So I would recommend that you do something, whether it's Swiss or or a chipped GameCube, to run this. Now, you can also use Action Replay Disk, which I do have one of those, which is really handy. The Action Replay Disk, you can pop in and basically put the software on an SD card or the uh, SD2, forget the name of it. It's the little thing that plugs into the bottom. You can use that as well. But you, again, you have to have the action replay disc. And the funny thing is I remember buying mine for $24.99 on eBay several years ago. Now those are also going for ridiculous amounts of money between $1 and $200 for just the disc. I think that's ridiculous, but that is what it is. So I think the cheaper way is just to do a mod chip in your GameCube. Anyway, let's talk about the device itself. Uh, it, like I said, it plugs into the bottom of the GameCube. It actually... It makes it almost more square because it's kind of more of a rectangular kind of console. If you look at it, it is a cube, but it's more rectangular. This kind of almost makes it a proper cube. Uh, there's a eject slide on the back, and there's also a little port in the front. <clears throat> and I looked into that, and it is called the controller link cable. You can take an actual Game Boy Advance and plug it into the front of this and use it as a controller. So you have a D-pad. It's, it's just a digital controller. You have the D-pad, and you have the two buttons. I'm in the shoulder buttons. So I think that is pretty cool, a uh, little little cool functionality on that thing. Uh, I actually went the other way on that. So instead of using the GameCube controller can be a little awkward in mobile games like the Game Boy games and the Game Boy Advance games. So back in the day, Ori <clears throat> made this controller specifically for the Game Boy player. 
uh, this little controller is just it looks almost like a almost like a Super Nintendo gamepad. It has a digital um, controller on the left and then just the buttons on the right uh, that correspond to the buttons on a Game Boy. And nowadays, that Ori controller is a lot of money if you can find them again above one hundred dollars. And they're pretty rare to find. So I went online and I looked and there is a company called Old School, spelt with a K. And they have a knockoff of that controller. It's basically just called the Digital Controller. It is, the, it is specifically for the GameCube and Game Boy Player. It comes with a 10-foot cable. And this thing you can find all day on eBay for $24.99. So I grabbed one of those as well. And I do have to say it makes it much more pleasurable to use. It is, it's a blast. So anyway, with the original, with the original boot disc, there are very few options. There's an option to change the cartridge, which you hit that, and then you can use the eject button and swap the cartridges. Um, and then there are a couple of like little uh, kind of cosmetic things, changing the border around, uh, things like that. And you can fiddle with those and. And that's about it. There's not a lot of options on the original on the original boot disc. Now, some very smart people decided to make new software, and it is called GBI. So if you want to Google that, it's just called GBI. And it is software that you can download that replaces the boot disc. Now, if you find a way to boot that software directly using a, um, like a, if you have a mod chip or whatever, it just goes right into it and uses its default settings. It's got 24, 240p, I'm sorry, 240p resolution. Uh, and, and basically, there's a bunch of defaults, and that's what you're stuck with. Now, if you boot this software using Swiss, which is what I highly recommend, in whatever way you can, if you can use a boot disk for Swiss or you can use Action Replay and boot it off an SD card, however way you can run Swiss, you, if you boot the GBI software with that, it then gives you, you can basically change all the default options. The resolution, you can, up, you can bump it up from 240p to 480. Uh, you can change the borders. You can center the screen up and down. You can use different backgrounds um, that that wrap around the screen. Um, you can, there are, there's a ton of options in there that you can tweak your settings to get it perfect. The, the actual gameplay on the screen looks way better with GBI than the original boot disc. So this is something, if you get this device, you really want to look into, uh, it, 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 it's much more enjoyable in that way. Anyway, uh, my overall thoughts on this, I have been using this for about two weeks now and coupled with the, with the knockoff Ori controller, it is the, the primo way to play these games. I, I have been really enjoying it. And another benefit that some of these other solutions may not support is both of my EverDrives for the Game Boy and the Game Boy Advance work perfectly in this thing. So I am playing games. You can save your games. Uh, you can do everything you can on the original Game Boy Advance and Game Boy uh, game-wise. Now, some of the features obviously aren't going to be there that supported um, peripherals and things like that. But overall, uh, it it does an amazing job. And with the controller, it there's there's very little lag. It, 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 it really runs very well. So 
I highly recommend the solution if it's if you play mobile games and you want to have a different experience where you play them on a bigger screen. Anyway, thanks for listening. If you have any questions about the Game Boy Player or the GBI software, please let me know. You can always hit us up at podcast at pixelguiden.com or you can reach out to us on Twitter at pixel underscore guiden. Thanks for listening. All right, Eric. We are back, which means more beer. I was going to say those two segments made me thirsty. I am so thirsty. Great to hear some Jaguar love. I can't wait to get my cart so I can dig in and join Tim with some of that Jaguar goodness. We were just mentioning while listening to that, that has to be the absolute worst intro screen to any system. Yeah, you I've, just, ever... I've never seen it, and you just showed it to me, and I'm like floored that Atari would let that get out. It's like the, the Jaguar <laughs> logo, you know, bright red on a black background, looks pretty good. There's like a growl, and you're thinking, okay, that was good. Like, that's it. And then all of a sudden, these like blocky cartoon, like Atari letters fall from the sky as if it was like a uh, late 80s, like, you know, I don't know what to explain. It just falls right. in there. It does not look of, of the modern era. Yeah. And then there's this cheesy, which sounds like a little kid's game. And then a completely out of tune, like, Hunk. <laughs> and then you see a, a 3D cube with a photo of a Jaguar on all four sides spinning around. Uh, it's just this terrible amalgamation of I don't know what. I guess that was them like showing off the 64-bit technology they had. Right. I'm opening this beer, Eric. Yep, and I will display. I, I provided this beer, and it, it follows the summer or hot weather theme. Mm. This is by a brewery called Original Pattern Brewing. We did have one of these. Remember when we had the Spaceballs beer, like the black okay. hand? Spaceballs, the beer. Exactly. Um, <laughs> this is the same brewery, but I've never had this one, so we're both trying it out. It is called the Golden Hour. Golden Ale. 5.4% alcohol volume. Um, and that's pretty much it. They don't really go into any kind of other explanation, so I'm hoping this is a good one. It seems to have a, um, maybe it's just because the can's very orange, almost a citrus overtone to the, to the smell. It says, Pink Boots Brew with Citra and Armorillo Hops. Is that what it says? There you go. Ooh, it does have a bit of a floral smell to it. Orange blossom, I say. Okay. Cheers, my friend. Cheers! Oh. Mm, lighter than the last one it is lighter and it's got a quite a, a almost gr- it's almost like t- a tart flavor to it it's aggressively yellow like neon yellow yeah it's got high carbonation a lot it's of like nice little bubbles something you'd pour into your gas tank as an additive the golden hour golden ale hmm. it's got an interesting flavor to it okay it's dry tart, it, tart and dry tart and dry yep not bad. Not overwhelming flavors, though. So, I mean, it's not a. Uh, it's not overwhelming. I mean, it, I like it. I mean, it, it, it's it's a good one. Um, let's see. Golden hour is past here. We are, we are now in the uh, twilight hour. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we are in the winter of the day. Um, so, what, what kind of hops were those? Like some kind of. Citra hops. Citra hops. Hmm. This is from Oakland, California. You probably already said that, but no, I didn't say that. So that's good. So this is right next to Richmond. Right next. <laughs> we had two beers so far wow. from Got some neighboring good, cities. Yeah, the Bay Area beers. Um, Citra hops. Let's do uh, out of fifty-five orange trees. 
Okay. 55 orange trees. Hold on, let me calculate this in my head. I'm going to go with 42 feels right. 42? 42. I was actually going to pick 40. Okay. Yeah, it's kind of a average. It is average. I I will say this one definitely doesn't lack flavor. I'm not sure this flavor would be something I would want to drink all the time. It's kind of a nice... If I was sitting by the pool, this would be a great beer. It's a palate cleanser. Yeah. Um, but I know you had high hopes for this one. I did have high hopes. There's disappointment on your face. It, it was actually pretty pricey. <laughs> it was 16 bucks for four oh, tall dang. boys. See, so. I'm telling you, I, I don't know if I can spend that much money for a light beer. <clears throat> yeah, relative, I mean, it's not a light It's beer, not a but, light calorie beer. It's yeah, a light colored beer. Light, um, light color, light flavor. I'm actually starting to appreciate, because I mean, my wife loves stouts and porters and darker beers, so we drink a lot of those. Mm-hmm. I'm actually starting to really appreciate the different flavors of... Um, of of the lighter color beers, the, the lagers, the, yeah. the the ales. Um, the, on a side note, I went to a local brewery here in Elk Grove that opened up not long ago called the Hungry Pecker. Oh my gosh! Have you been there? I've been by there four times and they've never been open. Okay, but I can't not laugh every time I pass by and see the sign. So they don't have bottles or cans, so you have to get a growler. Okay, but they have these really neat like uh, disposable growlers. They're they're flexible plastic. Hmm. Um, and we went there and we got a porter and we brought it home and we, we drank it over the weekend and it was really good. Was it? Oh, that's good to know. So that's a great one. And they have a Mexican, an Imperial Mexican lager. Okay. And they have, um, a, a kind of a golden ale there. So they only have like four, four beers, four different beers, and you can only get a growler or or a glass if you sit there. So... Not a lot of options, but yeah, they're good. But well, it, you got to start somewhere. They have a weird name, the Hungry Peckers. <laughs> <laughs> Try saying that with a straight face. Eric. Yeah. We have work to do, my friend. Yeah, we do. Because it's time for a battle. Battle of the systems. <laughs> So I picked this game this year. This year, this, uh, I picked the I picked this game for the battle, and you threw your hand up in the air when you said that. Yeah, I, <laughs> I am. I'm not gonna go. I'm not gonna start with an apology tour, but <laughs> and we'll spit beer everywhere. But um, I, I gotta say, well, I didn't, don't give anything away. No, 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 away. no, no, no. But. Let, let me start with this question. Did you watch the Animaniacs? I loved the Animaniacs. This was right in, right, right in your right wheelhouse. Right in my wheelhouse, yeah. yes. Because it was a little pastime for me. I, yeah. I never got into Animaniacs, and my kids didn't really either, because so, it was a they little were a pa- too young. They were too young yeah. for it. So I, I, would, did, I would hope your kids, who are like not much older than my kids, right. have a different yeah, yeah. time period than I do. <laughs> so... I, I I didn't know much about the Animaniacs, so I did a little research and on, on the cartoon and watched a few little segments and learned that it was kind of a Spielberg kind of th- collaboration with... Um, it was produced by Steven Spielberg, you're correct. Yep, and it seems like one that I would have digged. I mean... I, I, it was brilliant. Yeah. It really was. So I that's one reason I picked this for the Battle of Systems. I was like, okay, there's a cool game about the Animaniacs. And 
and and they were completely different games, which is always a good treat for us playing this because they're we're not playing the same game twice or whatever. Yeah, this is a nice hark back to when we first started doing Battle of Systems. Yes, and it was really two games with the exact same name on different systems that were completely correct. That were they're not. Uh, ports they are completely different games even though a lot of times the direction you can tell was the direction was the same yeah for like two different teams yep and and it was by the same company konami which that i was going to make that point it yeah. was interesting because these games are two very completely different games yep but usually that happens because you're two different production studios make the game in this case they're both at least it was both produced by Kon- or uh um right distributed by konami i don't know if they were both produced by them yep now I didn't. I I'm an apology. My apology tour really begins by saying that I played these about a month ago, and I kept notes on different pads and like different mental notes, and I am completely disorganized with my notes. So if I sound like an idiot talking about these, I apologize. I did play both of them, and I have very strong feelings about each one differently. Ooh, strong feelings. <clears throat> so I, I'm going to let you kind of take the lead on which one you want to talk about first. Um, I played them in Genesis first, followed by Super Nintendo. I don't know about you. I, I, I did Genesis, then went to SNES, then went back to the Genesis, and then went back to the SNES. Okay. So, so I, right. I did it in a similar, similar fashion. Honestly, I did the Genesis first because, again, I, I will be completely honest, I instantly have bias towards the system because I hate the controller so much. Right. I, I know. Purely just cause, because of that reason. And I like the controller on the Genesis. I know you do. But just looking at screenshots of these games i knew that i was gonna like one of these more than the other one but we'll talk we'll we'll get into that we'll all get right into. so do let's have, talk about the sega first yeah right? do you have deets on that i do specifically i'd be very interested to know if you have uh, details on who actually made the games rather than just that they're both you know so now when i first started up the genesis mm-hmm. genesis one the first thing you see is that beautiful white background with the konami logo that's right and that beautiful note that you guys might have heard in the mic just now that that konami note which means quality <laughs> right yeah you're right and konami makes fantastic games um <clears throat> so of course konami made this uh there was a game boy version of this i don't know if you knew that uh, but that one was made by Factor 5, not by not by Konami. I'm sure that's a whole different game there, too. Yep. The publisher... So the developer is Konami. The publishers was Konami. The designer for the Super Nintendo version was Hirotaka Fukuda. Okay. I've heard of him before, so I, I think he was a pretty, pretty well-known guy. Um, and then I have some composers... Um, I guess we don't really need to talk about that. I have the release dates. The Genesis was in North America was May 14th, 1994. The SNES was June. So okay, one, a month, month later, month later, 1994. The Game Boy was July 1995. It is a platformer, uh, single player. That's all I got. Okay. So I, I th- that's really all I have on... Simple on enough. Who made this, yeah. Now, another funny point. When we brought these up, we told Tim your idea. You told Tim your idea. Yeah. And he was all excited, and he's like, I've got that game around here. Yeah. And he sent us a picture of Tiny Toons. Right, which, which is, is not funny. the same. And I'm like, I made like, I laughed about it. I'm like, ha, ah, you're right. That Those were like both really good shows back then, both made by Warner Brothers, right? That's Tiny right. Tunes. Yeah. And he's like, he's like, oh, I'm an idiot. He's like, I totally thought that was actually the game. Um, <laughs> but it is true. Those two games, they were actually very, they had similar humor. They're both really good. Yeah. What I loved about Animaniacs is they had really dry humor, but each of their little segments, it was almost like these little vignettes. Yeah. And the common thread running through all of them was 
Is it uh, Wacko, Yakko, and Zacko are the three Warner brothers and Warner sisters? Yeah, that's right. Or Dot. And the Warner sister, Dot. Dot. Yakko, Wacko, and Dot. Yakko, Wacko, and Dot. And, um, and, you know, they, they would kind of run everything together, but you would, kind of like the old uh, Tiny Toons shows, you'd have these, like, little vignettes from completely different, uh, you'd have uh, Pinky and the Brain. Pinky and the Brain was a character in here, and then it got spun off into its own show, right? Well, but the, there would be a little vignette. Like, when Pinky <clears throat> okay. and the Brain would show up on here, yeah. they'd make cameos in the main storyline, but they would be, like, five minutes on just them. Okay. It could be their own little mini-story. Yeah. Or, uh, I forget her name, but... Um, Oh, the three, the three uh, pigeons, the mafia pigeons, the mafia pigeons. I remember, like, yeah, uh, saw you know, those. Yep, yep. Yeah, I mean, they were, they were, they were, and they were so good. There like, was the nurse, right? Uh, was, hello, hello, nurse. nurse. That's right. <laughs> hello, nurse was a character in there, and then there was the, the the crazy doctor looking guy with the glasses and the big head. Yeah, he was the uh, <clears throat> arch enemy, I believe. Of uh, no, that's not true. Pinky the right? No, no, he was out to get the animaniacs. Anyways, yeah, he was. They lived in the water tower. We're not here to talk about the show, but great show. But the reason it's all important is because both these games, I will say right now, do an excellent job of getting all those char- characters cameoed throughout the entire game. True. It is really good when True, it comes. True, but uh, and, and I'll throw this out there just in the beginning. The SNES version actually incorporates the characters as actual... Um, how, do I, how do I word this? You interact with them. You interact with them. They are... They're not controllable players, but they are characters in there that do stuff. Okay. And whereas in the Genesis version, they're just almost like background. They show up. They show up as cameos. Like, uh, they don't really do anything significant. Does that make... Would you would you agree I, with that? I see what you see. Yeah, they have a bigger role. They yeah. have a bigger role in okay. the SNES. So, okay. the Genesis version opens up with these very tiny pictures, which I thought was weird. Yeah. Uh, they must not have had a lot of space. So it's kind of tiny pictures of of story stills with um, kind of text below it, kind of having the the Warner Brothers and Warner Sister Dot talk to each other. Correct. To get the action started. Um, The music in both of these are very good. Mm -hmm. Uh, The Genesis does, they do a great job with the the music. The visuals look great. So right right off the bat, I'm going to give high scores for both those things. Right. Um, I would too. There were differences, though. They're not the same music. They're they're not, but we will, we'll get there. Okay. So I love how you start this game by popping out of the water tower like they do every episode. And there's the pigeons right there. Um, and the, the game starts with you basically having... And this is right where my heart sank, I'll be honest with you. This first level, you, you hop out of the water tower, you're in the Warner Brothers back lot, and there is three kind of corny obvious obstacles to overcome it's like a trainer and it trains you it teaches you that all right wacko pushes boxes and has a paddle paddle ball that's that right he attacks people with and remember i didn't see this so i don't know if that's part of the show but i had to learn this from not particularly okay, no okay okay not 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 that necessarily uh zacko here has um a big mallet he can bang the big things comical with. mallet which is bigger than him yeah and then she Super has sexist dot here blows yeah. kisses at males throughout the entire thing and makes them go crazy. Yes. And then the password system pops up. So right at the beginning, you're like, all right, we learned what they all do. And at the end of a level, you have a password system. It's kind of like Mega Man where you have, uh, you have nine boxes here and you can put different characters in different boxes mm-hmm. and that's the password. Yep. Which is nice to have that, that available. Um, but then what, what made my heart sink is I instantly knew I was ready to like go out there and like, 
do platforming and punch people in the face and have fun. And I instantly knew this is a puzzle platformer. So the, this goes. The, this is the <laughs> point I wanted to make, which is why this is the second part of my apology tour. I don't like puzzle games. I hate them. <laughs> so unless it's an action puzzle game like Tetris or something, if it's just a straight up puzzle game, I am not a fan. So right off the bat, yep. I I didn't know this. I thought they were just both two different I, platformers. I assume the same thing. Yep. And the, and uh, so another thing in comparison is this is a genuine 2D uh, puzzle platformer. Yes. 2D. The SNES version has a little depth to it. It's got a 3D yeah, element we'll, to it. We'll, we'll get, get to, to that. that. It's yep. much different, which is interesting. But I wanted to say that that is what the Genesis is, the 2D one. Yes. So, yes. Okay. Yep. Purely uh, side, side on. So you spend a lot of time in here juggling characters to find the ability needed to pass elements within the level. That's Absolutely. what I found. Yeah. And when in doubt, you have dot blow kiss for no reason. <clears throat> Correct. But we'll get to that too. Right. So what is cool about this game, and this is where they both have the same direction, mm-hmm. is the concept of both games is you're on the, the Warner Brothers back lot mm-hmm. and you go into different movie sets and in each of those movie sets... You are trying to achieve a goal, basically. So you have a level select. Mm-hmm. Again, like Mega Man, which I love. Yeah. I love options. That's cool. Linear gameplay in the 16-bit area yeah. era yeah. was kind of it was kind of a mixed bag if it was gonna be completely linear. And I always felt that was a, that was lame. At the at the at that point, people I think had figured out that having choice felt like more of a game. Absolutely. So I give it bonus points for that. But you've got um Level one here, uh, one, two, three, and four, which aren't you know ranked by difficulty. Um, Bungle in the jungle is kind of a Indiana Jones kind of a thing, and uh, I don't know what to say except uh, I mean it looks like it's going to be so much fun, and what it is is a bunch of trying to figure out what the heck am I supposed to do here? Yep, dying a bunch of times, doing it again. Get you do get a little further every time. But it's because you're figuring out the puzzle. And a lot of times the puzzles don't even make sense. Correct. Um, there's stars all over the place. If you connect enough stars, you get, an, I think, a free life. Or you get one of your Animaniacs back. Like this guy. The puzzle here was there's a guy walking back and forth with, the hand, with his hands in his pockets. Right. And you have to figure out you use Dot to blow a kiss at him, which apparently makes him like stand still because he's so in love. And then <laughs> right. you jump on his head so you can get to the next platform. Um, now what was cool is a lot of these elements and stuff here are from the show. They do a great job of interact of adding elements from the show. Um, I thought these are kind of cool parts where you had to use Zacco to use the mallet to hit certain things to make them that was go a button, up or down. That was a button on like a mech, like a mech robot that you have to ride. You hit the little button on top and he shrinks or raises or lowers to grab certain things in the, in the level. Absolutely. And then at this point, you're on a boat in the water. It does a lot of very cool, interesting things. Mm-hmm. I will definitely give it that. The graphics are great for a 2D platformer, as you would expect. I mean, like when we saw with Aladdin and, and some of those other games, the animations and graphics in, are really great. They're really good. But then things like that we just saw here. Now we're on a commercial. But things like that we just saw, um, for some reason... The uh, so the bad guy in the Animaniacs is this uh, security guard that's trying to kick you off the back lot because you're not supposed to be living there. Right. For some reason, he's like on the back of an alligator. Right. 
And you're just eventually through trial and error after dying multiple times and having to get back here, you have to figure out, oh, you just use the paddle ball to like hit him off the alligator. Yeah. I, and A lot of trial I, and error. If I might say, I don't like that there are three characters on the screen at once. It, it to me, visually is a little confusing to the eye. Like when you're trying to do platforming things and there's like you jump and then these other three guys jump with you and it creates almost this weird, um, yeah, this weird effect. It, I think it's distracting. It's I, a lack of precision. I would have much rather had it where you're a character, you hit a button and he like magically turns into a different character or something. Yep. Having all three of them on the screen at one time, I think is, is a distraction. And a lot of times you'll be on a platform that disappears or something, mm-hmm. and they're just floating in air. Mm-hmm. It thought, yeah, I agree with that. I completely agree with that. Now, that being said, the actual control mm-hmm. is very tight. It is. It's very Konami tight. Yep. Um, so, yeah, at this point, we just went down a waterfall. And the gameplay, even though it is the controls and the type of gameplay doesn't, doesn't change, it is very creative. They, you go to a lot of different places and do a lot of different things, mm-hmm. which is a pro and a con it's a con because you never know what to do until you fail forward a bunch of times right like this minecart level um so there were four levels right there were four levels to begin with at the front yeah okay okay did you beat a single one of them i did not i did not either i played this for hours (laughs) okay i i have to admit i didn't play this for hours because again puzzle platformer not my favorite i played it for probably two and a half hours that well that's about me okay okay yeah um, I got near the end of of a couple of the levels. Same here. I think I, I, think I might have beat one, but um, I I did not enjoy myself. Nope. Me either. I, I I liked playing through it the first time and getting new areas because it's really cool. Big. Oh, I see what they're doing here. That's cool. But the it felt very imprecise, which is interesting to me because Konami is usually that Japanese mentality of like. You do this, you hit this, you like everything is a known quantity. Mm-hmm. And here it almost feels like a like kind of like Aladdin on the Genesis to me where nothing had a strong hit detection box or yeah. The level designs were set up in ways where they're not sure what you have to do. It's kind of like you have to be pixel perfect, but at the same time you can't be because it's not accurate enough to be pixel perfect. Um these le- this level here killed me. Like it was just annoying. You had to push boxes in the right order and when, when you did it wrong, you had to try to go back far enough to reset everything, and then it... Yeah, it's almost like a miscalibration in your mind. Like, you want a platformer to have action. But in this game, you have to stop the action to figure out what you're really going to do to get past the elements in the level. I don't like that mix. I don't like... I, when I'm when I'm platforming, I don't like to think too much. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> I don't want there to be puzzles. Yeah, you so. want the timing to get there. You want some reaction. You want maybe yep. enough memory to be like, oh, if I went here from now mm-hmm. on, now I know every time I go there, I can just do this and that'll work. Definitely. I mean, it's okay to have some little light puzzle aspects to a pot platformer. I mean, that's really what it is. Like, how do I get to here? Mm-hmm. But when it's like having to change who I'm playing to pull out some kind of skill to get past something i do, i i i it it took me out of the out of the game well on this one right here look at this <clears throat> yeah like the, the way to get past this is to do like pixel perfect box pulls to these really weird things that you're like yeah you're you like, don't seem like you shouldn't be able to stand on that but if you leave one pixel you can and that's how it was designed yeah you're like scooching the box over so you're spending you're taking away from the platforming by scooching a little box over yeah, pulling it, pushing it, and if you pull it just a little too far, you can't get to the other side, and you got to like go to a different part of the level and come back to reset mm-hmm. everything. 
And I'm sure there's people out there that love this kind of game, and I'm not one of them. Yeah. And that's all I know. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> but you, Hello, nurse. There's the yeah. nurse. But like I said, yeah, the graphics are beautiful. This is a beautiful Genesis game. This one I got fairly far on, but again, there's parts. This is the, the like um, bamboo jungle level where there's like fire and you have to push boxes into the fire. And this, oh, this one killed me too because you, you had to use the mallet yeah. to break blocks that are stacked on top of each other, but you literally can't jump and break just the top block because you'll the mallet takes so long to swing right as he falls it'll break all the blocks but the puzzle is you need to break that just the top one so you literally have to use the mallet like swing on your way up so you just hit the block and then like turn around the other way real quick like it's i don't know it's so imprecise and so yep just frustrating it stops them all the momentum like every once in a while you get to part in the game where you're like oh cool i'm having fun and then everything stops to a halt yeah. um and so, and there little, is a timer in this too. <clears throat> this is the one I beat. This was cool because I did like this one. This reminded me of Earthworm Jim. You're on this train with all these sweets on it, right? And on another track across the river, the uh, security guard is throwing pies at you. And so you're Wacko or Zacko with your uh, your mallet, and you're hitting this thing that shoots pies out over to him. Yeah, and everything's moving around. You're trying to dodge his pies while shooting pies at him. This was actually really cool. I wish the game was more like this. Um, right, more arcade fun. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it took some skill. This game was this one here was haunted house, and it kind of reminded me of Ghouls and Ghosts. Yeah, just because of the tombstones and running around. Yeah, but then I got to a point here where I got stuck. I don't know. You had to collect these four items, so that was the idea here. They are right here: the Indiana Jones hat, the badge from I guess the police level. I don't know what that was from. The Freddy mask from the horror yeah. level, and then right. this like fantasy mask. Uh, and then there's one final level where you where you fight. Uh, let's see, I don't even know who it is. Oh, Pinky and the Brain. Yeah, who are trying to take over the world, which is the whole shtick there. But that's the Genesis game. Yeah. So how about the Warner Brothers Water Tower? Okay. Is it ha- how half full or half empty? How full and how empty is it? That's, <laughs> that's our rating system. By what, like hundred percent? Yeah, sure. 100%. How, how full is the Warner Brothers water tower? Okay. On the Genesis version. I'm going to, out of, out of 100% full, I'm going to give this 45% full. Ooh, you really did not like this. I didn't. I, ha- I, I, I don't want to say I hated it, but I did not. I will never, never play this game again. I agree with you on that, but I know there's people out there that will enjoy Mm-hmm. This style. I could see Tim enjoying this, to be honest with you. Okay. Yeah, fair enough. Because he's also broken and weird. <laughs> no. Sorry, Tim. Um, the music was so good for the Genesis. Yeah. The the way they integrated the show into the game was really good. Mm-hmm. The colors, the even the control... Uh, the controls were good. The hit detection was terrible. Um, I have to give it some points for that. So I would say the glass is... 61% full in the water tower on this one. And what did I give it? 45? 45. Yep. So, okay, so I'm going to just note that here. Uh, yeah, I probably was too harsh on it, but I really just did not like yeah, it. That's your, that's your score. Yep. I get it. So, uh, do cool. we do we already read all the stats for the Super Nintendo version? Yeah. I mean, they were... It, the, the stats I have kind of put them all together. They were both made by Japanese teams? Yep. That surprises me. Yep. That, this one felt very... Um, Ocean, very European to me. Okay. 
or um, UK, I should say. Yeah, I mean, it does seem like they were made by similar teams. Um, well, the other one felt different to me. Um, the other one felt more Japanese. It felt more Konami to me. Okay. So let's dig into that. Yeah. Animaniacs on the Super Nintendo. <clears throat> yep, and this one was released a month later, but I kind of wonder if that was just uh, so they didn't clobber each other in sales or something. Um, There's that beautiful Konami logo with the white background. Yep. Now, the first thing I will say about this one, because I can hear it right now. Yeah. The screen just popped up. It's got a little more pastel look. It's not quite as in your face with the colors. It is. That's true. Um, but the Animaniacs uh, theme song mm-hmm. with the, the what do they call it, sampled music mm-hmm. on the Super Nintendo sounded almost exactly like the real theme song. Yeah, I did notice that. It was great. The Genesis was really good. Mm-hmm. This was great. Yeah. Um. We should. I wish we could play it for you here, but yeah. Um, and here's their cutscenes. Their cutscenes are animated and they move, and they're still small. They're still like a little postage stamp. They are, but they're not quite as small. But they're they're definitely just regular cutscenes, and and they are very similar to the Genesis one. They are they are similar, but the animations there. Um, Correct. The other one was just cutscenes. This one is an- animations within a small square on the screen. So here we go. There's your gameplay, and I want, I'll let you expound upon that because you already kind of mentioned it. But. Yeah, so this one is different. This this game isn't so much a puzzle platformer. It's more of an action platformer. And there are different buttons that you use to move. Now, this isn't a 2D platformer. This has some depth to it, so you can move not only up and down, but left and right on the screen. So if you want to think about the way you'd move in a typical brawler like yeah, a exactly of rage like a street rage yep or a final fight or something yep. like that so that is how you do it now it's still three characters on the screen all at once um they don't they both they all three of them do the same exact thing so they don't there's no benefit to either one you're right correct there's no there's no separate function to them all that happens is if you die, you lo- one of your guys disappears. Now you have two people on the screen at one time. If you die again, you have one person on the screen at one time. So that's one big difference in here. Now the buttons are you can do this thing where you stop and then you can accelerate really fast and that can break crates and things like that. Um, you can grab stuff to pick up and move on the level. Um, what else is there? Um there's a button where you stack all three of your people that's together, right. and that's then you can right. jump higher places. However, if you lose a life, you lose whatever character you're playing with, even yeah. though they don't change. It changes the amount of characters you can stack. That's right. So you can't get to certain areas. Yep. <clears throat> so that that is an important thing. Password system is interesting. It's kind of a similar thing, but it looks different. It's similar, but instead of three by three, it's now four by three, and there's a lot more characters. Yeah. To put in boxes. Yeah. So that that's interesting. Um, but this is not a puzzle platformer at all. This is a true platformer. So the action is a little more. Now there is light it is, puzzle but there's, elements. There's a lot of memorization. Correct. Correct. And that's where the this is light puzzle. What I would call light puzzle. Yeah. Which most platformers are. How do I get to this level? If well, they had you, nothing, it would be it would be a beat 'em up and that, it'd be boring. That is correct. So like like let's say there's a high ledge. You got to know. You got to stack your guys up and then you jump on the high ledge. Uh, there are certain things you can break in this game, and it creates certain elements on the screen, and you have to use those elements to get to certain levels and things like that. So it is definitely different. 
I want to jump back to control. Yeah. The one, my one main complaint with control, uh, well, two main complaints on this game. There's one button that you press once to like put your foot back and get ready to do your dash. That's right. And you press it again. And, and you can't just quickly double tap that. You kind of have to time it. Yep. And people hit you all the time while you're trying to time that. Yep. In most games, like a beat 'em up or even like Battletoads on the NES, you tap the direction you want to go twice, like really quick, and they'll do it. And it's like a dash. Yeah. And it's a dash. And that's what it is on here, but it's hard to pull <clears> off. You have to almost like prime it. You have to, yeah, you have to time it well and then prime it, and mm-hmm. you die a lot if you get it wrong. Correct. Yep. And That's the, all frustrating. Like on this very first level, like there's the the security officer, You're, you, you, I can't tell you how many times I was priming it, like getting yep. it ready, and then he just came and grabbed me, and then yep. I'm, I'm down one guy already. And when he grabs you, he takes you to like this <laughs> yeah. back, back of the lot warehouse and puts you in a box or something. Yeah. Um, the other issue I had, and we'll see as we keep watching the gameplay here. Um, so first of all, you have this really cool map. Let's talk about that. So yeah, this is like an overview map, like on a Mario game or something. Yeah, but it is interactive. It is. So you've got things moving around. Most of the things you can hit and it'll bump them out of the way. You'll see pinking of the brain running between different lots. Um, but you've got five different movie studios you can go to. You got your fantasy studio. There's like a space studio. Um, I think it also did also do that. There's a Jurassic one, right? Jurassic studio. That's right. That's right. Um, a couple <laughs> others, but then you've got the security guard going around the map as well. And if you run into him, you lose a life. Right. So this map, you're trying to get to the studio you want, the next level you want, but it's, you do have to avoid the cop at the same time. Yeah. Or the rent-a-cop. Um, another interesting thing about this game here, the fantasy stage is starting here, is there are, uh, coins everywhere. And you get a lot of coins, and what the coins do is, at the bottom, you have this little jackpot. Right. There's three pictures at the bottom. If you get three in a row of something, you can get another life back or or other things. But the more coins you grab, the more option, more chances you get at getting these the a jackpot. You get more pulls on the thing. But it's kind of just happening at the bottom of the screen while you're playing the game. Right. You can barely even... Because the action's happening so fast and furious, it's like you... You can't really keep an eye on that, so you don't know. You're just getting lives every once in a while, and that's great, but you're not really paying too close of attention to that. Yeah. Now, these levels are pretty long. Um, they are. Th- this first level is interesting because it's almost like the speeder bike stage on Battletoad, but mm-hmm. but doable, um, which is interesting. You're following the rabbit because this is clearly Alice in Wonderland, even though they just call it a fantasy stage. This is another one where it was so distracting to me that there were three people on the screen. Because it's only your main character that can run into the trees. The other ones just seem to magically get through the level. Correct. Yeah, you have to know which one you are. Exactly. And I and for some reason, I can't track that very well, so I died a lot there. <laughs> and so here, this level is a perfect example of my other complaint, which is when you have a game that has it's side-scrolling, but you have depth, mm-hmm. then everything you're doing relies on the shadow about where you're going to land. You're right. There's a platformer where you can press up or down depending on the level it it kind of clicks you into these i don't know how to explain it even though there's no visual indication that there might be two or three or four lanes mm-hmm. on your map to to be in right you, if you press tap up once you'll go up one lane okay so when you're jumping if you jump and you press down then your little shadow will go down a lane and you have to know you're going to land there mm-hmm. and the thing is, the enemies don't really cast the shadows. You kind of have to learn by trial and error 
where they're at. Mm-hmm. And so we're <laughs> watching the Jack and the Beanstalk stage here where you're jumping on this magical, like, uh, a Treyu, not a Treyu. What was the never-ending story oh, dragon? He, oh man, <laughs> a Treyu. Yeah, I, I'm sorry. I, I my my brain's not going to shift into that gear. I know uh, what you're talking about, though. And uh, you're jumping along him, and then you jump off, and there's these buzzards, and you run into them constantly because it's so hard to tell where they are. You just have to fail forward. Yeah. Um. But somehow, even though that was a complaint of mine, I enjoyed my time with it. Mm-hmm. Um, I did beat a few of the levels here. Um, I beat the first level. When you say the first level, which one is that? The, because- f- the, the first one you start on. Well, I mean, I'm sorry. You're right. So I would go from the first little level to the water tower one with the moving platforms that go up and down the water tower in the middle. Have you? Did you try that one? No, apparently not. <laughs> so there's a water tower right in the middle, and you can go to the top, and I think if you get to the top, you can get an extra life. Um, and oh. then I went to the the Jurassic level, and uh, I beat that one. Okay. But then I didn't beat any of the other ones. Yeah, I beat a, I beat a couple. I think I beat this one where you run through the jungle, and there's apes following you. And this was a really cool boss fight where there's this robot with these hands, and you have to collect these coconuts and attack the robot and dodge the hands. Yeah. There's a lot of parts on here I really did enjoy. Yeah. But there was also an equal amount of parts where it was so frustrating because, primarily because of the isometric issue, that, that trying to figure out what plane you're on. Um. So if you had your druthers, would you pick a true 2D platform or a game like this with some depth? I think I prefer the precision of the 2D. Okay. But what I this was another game that was, I would say, equally, if not more creative than the last one we talked about. Oh, yeah. this I would say this is very creative. Very creative. This part, like right here, I would fall off of this all the time. Mm-hmm. We're in the studio and we're up just up a ramp yeah. and literally just trying to walk up some stairs. I would fall off all the time because I could not figure out where I was. Like, and this is funny. I mean, like the humor in the show. Like, there was an R two D two that was a trash can. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I mean, there's like little pieces of humor in here that are really. really the show good. is good. The show yeah. is really good. Yeah. Um, and they did a great job, like you said, conveying <laughs> that through this. Um. Yeah, and then you get zoomed up by the spaceship, and then yeah, I I really enjoyed this level, honestly. Mm-hmm. Aquatic stage. See, there was a water stage. And so let's talk about the lives in this one. So, oh, this boss fight was cool too. The boss fights are my favorite. This is the one where you have an octopus and a pirate that's yeah, like riding the octopus. I didn't, I didn't get here, but and you have to jump on this cannon to shoot back at it. I really enjoyed the boss fights in this game. So the lives in this one, we well, we did talk about that. So when you lose one, you you ju- you literally lose one on the screen, but they all do the same thing in this one. So you literally just can't stack high enough. And you, now, now you have to go and you have to look to try to get a life to add back to your posse, mm-hmm. so that you can climb up to certain levels and things like that. You didn't really use that that much in this game, though. I think. I, mean, the I think I it didn't stop you from beating the level of the game. I think it stopped you from accessing like secret areas. Okay, that makes sense. Um, cool. And then, just like the last game, after you beat all, in this case, five levels instead of four, mm-hmm. you fight Pink in the Brain in a big. In a big boss battle. In a battle. big boss suit. Um, that I didn't get to. So, it's funny, because look, I look at it two different ways. One is, like, the levels are very long, and they took a lot of practice to beat. Yes. 
but I did enjoy playing them. I was still frustrated at times. Yeah. I did enjoy playing them, and I got, you know, an hour or almost an hour and a half of entertainment out of each one trying to figure out how to beat that level. And I could see that once you beat those four levels, you get to the boss, and eventually you have to figure out how to beat him. I would say, you know, it's probably a 10, 15-hour game. Yeah. Well, definitely, you get your money wor- money's worth out of this if you were an Animani- Animaniacs fan and a platformer fan. I think you would yeah. get your money out of this for sure. And I would say the Genesis <clears throat> one's probably a 10 or 15-hour game, but you'd hate yourself the whole time. Correct. I would I would agree with you. <laughs> are we ready to rate this bad boy? We I think we are. So out of a full tower. Yep, full 100%. I know mine. You already have yours ready, huh? Yep, I'm going to give this 55%. Okay, not a whole lot better, though. Nope. That's why my the third part of my apology tour is that I, I didn't enjoy either of these games enough to either want to go back to them. So it's funny, this this game, when I first started playing it, I'm like, man, another stinker. Yeah. Like, seriously? Because I was getting frustrated. Mm-hmm. And then I'd figure something out and be like, oh, that's cool. And then I'd keep playing and then I'd die, do it again. Oh, that's cool. I, I did and like... And I kept finding things that are like, I kind of want to come back to this. Right. I, I did enjoy the Super Nintendo one better than the Genesis one. Um... But I, I didn't. I can't say I enjoyed either of them a, a lot. Again, I, it's so hard for me because the music is perfect, mm-hmm. the visuals are perfect, the creativity is awesome. Uh, agreed. But gameplay is king. Mm-hmm. However, I did find myself coming back, so I think I am going to give it. I'll give it a seventy-two percent full. Full seventy-two. Wow. Which, if you know, a little. I'll say a little below. Ah, see, it's, it's hard for me to say because it's above average in so many areas, but gameplay is king. Yeah. So, 72. 72. So, we both like the Super Nintendo version the best, so that's the winner. That that's, one's worth playing, in my opinion. Yeah, that's and I agree with you. Well, yeah, I, I sort of agree with you. I don't think they're worth playing, honestly. Yeah. I, I don't... I, I'm, I'm not a fan of either one enough to go back and play, but the Super Nintendo one is better. Boom. Boom, that's it. That's that's right. And as far as the Sega Genesis is concerned. (laughs) So sad. So sad. But no one loses because Konami made money off of both of them. They did. And and I will say they're both beautiful games. Yeah. There's there's a lot here to like. The music, the graphics. But you're right, in the gameplay area, I'd say the Super Nintendo is better than the Genesis one. But they both have something that's interesting. So, cool. Cool beans. That's a battle. That's a battle, and that's an episode, Eric. A little throwback to the old days of Pixel Guiden. Thank you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We'll have to figure out what we're going to do next month. I have an idea, I think. I'll have to figure it out. But Cool. Uh, cool. We appreciate you guys for listening and hanging out with us tonight. Yes, uh, our next you. show will be on April 30th, in which uh, I get to talk Cody's Corner. Yes. I'm going to review a couple of new games. Uh, spoiler alert, you should play all three of them. So please check that out. Um, and we're going to go ahead and have Tim, our buddy, our correspondent, as I like to say, from the UK, <laughs> uh, join us for a game show. And then we're going to catch up and talk a bunch of things. Um, is that all we're doing? That's it. We do, we do, we do a, a lot with that, though. Yes, we do. We, <laughs> we expound. We're good at expounding upon those things. And we got some more quick questions to address. So Yep. Thank you guys for listening, and remember, it's it's dangerous to go alone. Thank you again for listening. 
You can find episode information and show notes online at pixelguiden.com. Please follow us on Twitter at pixel underscore guiden. And you can also follow Eric at the project. That's D-U-H project. You can also follow Cody on Twitter at oddball49. That's O-D-D-B-A-1149. Please leave a review to help get our podcast listed higher up on the show rankings. We would also love to hear from you with any comments or input. So hit us up on our email at podcast at pixelguiden.com.